And welcome to episode 142 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Matty Emanuel. And making another return, Mike, the Italian Mike Charles, Mike Chardulo, friend of the show. Friend of the show, that's a fucking stretch. (laughs) That's a fucking stretch. I'm well prepared for the lashing I'm about to receive. I am (laughs) not fucking happy with this fucking big-nosed motherfucker right now. I feel like after this, you might be equally as upset with me. It's going to be perfect. I am so mad, as I stated last week, this fucking prick <laughs> promised me he would get in a top 10 list of 2020, and for the third straight year, he didn't fucking do it. Setting records over here, it buddy. It did a time-honored tradition as any on this podcast. <laughs> and I intend <laughs> on keeping it. Hopefully year four, guys. Hopefully year four. <laughs> We can do it. We can persevere. <laughs> oh, boy. Not fucking happy. Like, I literally got the words, I promise <laughs> to get the list in this year. And I was like, perfect. I'm like, excellent. I value this man's opinion. I like oh, hearing boy. his takes. <laughs> and then I just waited and waited, cried myself to sleep several nights. And well, still... And I have a great excuse. I have just a great excuse because during these COVID times, I haven't been working. So I've had all this extra time to watch movies. So you can understand the plight as to why I can't. (laughs) But you'll be happy to know I I do have it prepared for you. Oh, 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 you have it prepared. (laughs) Right in the nick of time. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to dive right into it? You want to hear it now? Might as well. What else do we have a fuck to do? Oh, I love it. Okay, well, be prepared to have your socks completely blown off. I can't going to pull it up here. Oh, I will say, so <laughs> you told me to get the list ready. Obviously, we know I didn't. And then you recorded your top 10 special. That's correct. And you sent me a text message saying, hey, hey, buddy, listen, like I recorded it. And here's what I did. I didn't listen to the entire episode. I just scrolled through until the part where you threw me under the bus. And as <laughs> I listened to you, <laughs> my buddy was sitting there laughing while they're talking about you. And once you finished throwing me out of the bus and started the top 10, I promptly shut the podcast off and looked at him and said, well, at least they're talking about me. <laughs> that any, is, any publicity is good publicity, right? That's exactly it. That's a true story. It's absolutely true. So I don't know any of your guys' top 10s, but I assume you're just going to shit on mine. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. You ready to go? Would you oh, like, I'm ready if you are. Would you like for us, after you've, shared yours do you want to hear ours or do you want to go back and finish the episode oh man that's a cool good question well if you want to just give me like i'm assuming i'll have some of the same ones as you guys because manny we've discussed before Mm -hmm. some of the films that you've liked from the year so i'll get right into it Uh, another best part is i say i've done a top 10 list but what i've done is i've done number 10 then i've skipped nine eight and seven and then i've begun at six to one so i don't even really have a top 10 list you know a true a true top 10 (laughs) (laughs) what is it seven eight nine those are just filler numbers yeah that's exactly it's all bullshit (laughs) all right coming in at number 10 oh here we go let the lashing begin i got bad boys for life 
that came out this year? Yeah, it did. And actually, oh my God. Do you want to know another thing about Bad Boys for Life, Sam? Hmm. If I'm not mistaken, it's the highest grossing movie of 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's not true. Is that true? It is. Because, well, there's, there's because not that it, many franchises. Be, because All the franchises had, delayed their movies, yeah, right? Because it it's oh, one of the few right. movies that had a theatrical run. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so that that's a great lead into this. To be honest, just for nostalgia purposes, the only reason it makes it on the list, and uh, because I only did seven movies, I couldn't even justify putting it at seven. I had to put it at ten. Okay. Um, I do remember the first 15, 20 minutes really wanting to turn it off, being like, oh, this is so disappointing. Because, I mean, I remember seeing the first one in the theater and just loving it, right? But we're talking like 25 years ago. So... Yeah, anyway, I kind of just at one moment sat back and thought, okay, well, whatever, fuck it. Like, it's just a fun popcorn flick, whatever. Let's just ha- enjoy it for what it is. And then as I got into it, I'm like, okay, the action sequences were pretty good and the banter between the two of them was pretty good. So I had that kind of little, you know, nostalgic throwback kind of fun time with it. I would never put it on a top 10 list in another year when there is actual releases. But in this case, it kind of gets uh, thrown on there. I, I eventually had fun with it. Did you even see it? Oh, yeah. Sam, have you seen this? No, Sam, well, you've you, seen none of them. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the bad ones. Oh my god, no way! <laughs> is the it, first one is awesome because it's not Michael Bay directing this one, right? Michael Correct. Bay is, and uh, you is can tell he just did two. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah. that's from from what I understand, that's half the fun of the first two Bad Boys movies. Is it's Michael Bay at his Michael Bayiest? Oh yeah, right. The no, first, no, yeah. no, not the first one. The it first is the second. No, Bay did one and two. Okay, but Bad Boys is Michael Bay's first film. And hmm. so it's the least, like, I haven't seen Pain and Gain, so I don't know how Michael Bay that movie is. But oh, it's, Bad, it's pretty Michael Bay. Okay, Mike, Bad Boy's the first film, The legit, the only reason to watch it is the amazing chemistry between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. Like, Absolutely. Their scenes are the only reason to watch that movie. And that's what I want to get into. I'm going to spoil a little bit of Bad Boy's 3. Sam, because I'm pretty sure the chances of you watching this are are slim. I'm fucking devastated. Okay. Because actually I want to touch on this with Mike because this is something that actually fucking surprised me. So spoilers for Bad Boys 3 in 3, 2, 1, go fuck yourself. There is a assassination attempt on Will Smith's character, which basically almost – comes to fruition. It's actually pretty shocking to see him. He gets gunned down by a gun, a guy driving by us on a motorcycle, like completely gunned down. And I want to, and I'm not even being facetious or sarcastic or anything. I'm going to tip my cap to Martin Lawrence's performance in the middle of this movie because he has two scenes where I'm not even going to lie. He almost made me cry. The first scene is in the kitchen where Will Smith is Will Smith like obviously he wants to go out and get these fuckers that tried to kill him. And Martin Lawrence will not bend. He's like, I'm not coming with you. Because when Will Smith was in the hospital, there's a scene where Martin Lawrence goes into like the chapel in the church, or, uh, sorry, in the hospital and begs God that if he will save his best friend's life, he will forgo this life of violence. And so when Will Smith recovers, Martin Lawrence is like, I'm, I'm not doing this. And he, he sticks with it. And this scene in this kitchen is in every other action scene where he convinces – where you, the guy always says, no, I'm, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And the guy convinces him to do it. He doesn't. He keeps saying – like 
He's like, this guy tried to kill me. How can you not? Like, how can you not care? And Martin Lawrence drops a fucking truth bomb and a fucking really great and really heartfelt moment in this film as he says, you don't fucking know what it was like. You're laying there. I was there every day hoping that my best friend, my brother, would not die. I fed you. I cleaned you. I never left your side. He gives this huge monologue about how much Will Smith means to him and what he went through watching his friend in this coma after being shot numerous times. It was, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) It was really well done. Now, the rest of the movie is... is, And that was what they submitted for Martin Lawrence for Best Supporting Actor uh, nomination that year. I'm not going to lie. I was stunned at at how great he was in that scene. Like, full-on flabbergasted stunned and how much it affected me. I think, again, what you touched upon in, in the first film is, like, you should see it because of the camaraderie. I think maybe that was the nostalgic thing that got me going again in this one. The scenes with them, the kind of banter and the fun, like, I just, I jumped right back on board. Like I said, after that first 20 minutes where I was like, oh, this is going to be painful, um, I actually had fun with it. So yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it, it's a fun movie. It's, it's yeah, I would definitely not be watching it as many as the first one or if I ever watch it again. But, yeah, I had enough fun with it. Yeah. Has has Michael Bay ever directed a scene that has been close to that emotional? Has he even <laughs> has he even yes. sniffed the level yeah, of yes, that yeah. Armageddon? Of Armageddon. Armageddon, yeah. Armageddon. Hundred <laughs> percent. Two scenes two scenes in Armageddon. Yeah. One, it doesn't that get one. me, but it got it got me in ninety eight when it came out, is like like Bruce and Ben. Ben goes a little over the top, but Bruce is pretty good in it. But the scene that has made me cry and almost makes me cry every time, spoilers for Armageddon, <laughs> is when William Fickner goes up to Liv Tyler and asks to shake the hand of the daughter of the bravest man he's ever known. Mm. It's, it's really well done. The score obviously helps. Like He knows how to play these emotional strings. So yes, that's, but that's the only one I can pick. You know what Michael Bay's great at? The hero shot. Can yeah. he ever pull a hero shot out of his ass? Uh, the low angle, yeah. the slow low, <laughs> low angle circling around them. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even it's not even the hero shot in my opinion. It's like it has its own name. It's the Michael Bay shot. Like, it's compl- it's a distinct thing because it's of so how grandiose and over the top it is. Oh, so good. Always the classic music pumping out too. Like yeah. you just oh god. Yeah, he, he he's got that uh, niche. <laughs> like well, just straight say down. what you say what you will about Michael Bay, but the man is a, a gifted visual director. The oh. man can make shit look expensive. One hundred percent. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, so that's your number. Lo- that's that's number, number ten. 10. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of time spent on number ten. So we're gonna skip nine, eight, and seven then. Yeah. Not, yeah. For my, efficiency. Yeah, yeah. My number six, which I guarantee neither of you have seen, and it's also very nostalgic for me. It's Mortal Kombat Legends: what Scorpion the through Revenge. Sweet fucking <laughs> Christ. I, Are you I, fucking I kidding me? me? Here we go. Okay, so I loved the video game growing up, and I thought when the movies came out, this is when Street Fighter with like Jean-Claude Van Damme came out and Mortal Kombat came out, and like those live-action ones sucked, except for uh, who played the bad guy in uh, Street Fighter. Raul um, Julia. There you go. Yeah, great. 
but yeah, the Mortal Kombat the movie was was absolutely horrible. And in this case, Scorpion was my favorite character to play. They did a cartoon one, and they did it in full on uh, anime style, and it's excessively gory. So a lot, it's not for kids. There's everything. There's, there's swearing. People die. There's bones being broken. There's finishing moves. Like, it's excessively gory. So for me, it was just fun to watch because I mean, I haven't played Mortal Kombat in ages, but uh, again, not a strong. You're for movies, so would you like to go ahead and shit on me now about this pick? Or... Manny, you go ahead. So <laughs> you're in this incredibly diverse and fantastic chat group with these people that are constantly recommending and talking about these films from 2020. You haven't even watched enough to fill out a top 10, and your number six is a fucking anime about a fucking video game? Yes, sir. Holy and God. I stand by. Here's the other thing. You couldn't even shit on me more. Now this is gonna be perfect. This is what the pe- the fans have come to listen, <laughs> come to listen for. Um, not only am I in the podcast uh, group chat with you, and you recommend all these movies, but as anybody who listens to the podcast already knows, you're not a fan of somebody downloading a movie or stealing a movie. And that's the only way I watch these movies. So I could be down your face right now. It's great. I could be downloading these movies to watch them, and yet I don't. Does that infuriate you even more? <laughs> well, Manny, Manny, Everything you do infuriates me. Manny, the alternative is he actually paid money to watch it and therefore supported <laughs> the creation of these movies. So it's kind of a lose-lose. No, I'm in full I'm in full support of somebody that pays for the art form. Regardless <laughs> reg- like I'm, I'm trying to what fucking I'm trying to think of a movie I just fucking despise. Whatever whatever movie Rachel likes. If they if they <laughs> if they pay for it, I'm all in favor. I'm all in favor of supporting the art form that I love. I like that. Yeah, I know you are. Don't worry. You're going to like my top five. Here we go. We're coming into familiar territory. I guarantee probably all of these are on your guys' top ten. Number five, Mank. I liked it. Um, Manny, you and I have already discussed it yeah. uh, just over a phone conversation, but I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the acting was tops. Um, yeah. I mean, you probably was this must have been on your guys' top ten, yeah? Or Wasn't on mine. Wasn't really? on mine. Yeah, no? it, uh, it fell off of mine. Like, I, I completely agree with you. The acting is uh, some of the best acting we saw in a movie this year. Uh, rest of the movie, it, it just didn't invest me. Uh, the character of Herman Mankiewicz, I, I didn't find him like relatable or likable. Dialogue was excellent. Acting oh, okay. was excellent. And the delivery of the dialogue was also excellent. But the mm-hmm. plot, uh, I just I could not get invested in it. Yeah, I, I had some suggestions for that, Manny, and I talked about how maybe uh, not spending so much time earlier on in the film developing, but then later, once he came to visit him, and Mank says, hey, you know what, I really want credit on the movie, maybe having that sort of conflict between those two, and how it ended their friendship, and how then it led to the acceptance speech at the awards, and uh, maybe they could have loaded that part of the movie a bit more, because, again, you have more conflict, and you have more, uh, more entertainment value. Yeah, that 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 award acceptance is so legendary, isn't it? Oh, what did so you say? That I accept this award for Citizen Kane as the movie was written in the absence of Orson Welles. <laughs> oh, so good, right? I mean, yeah, again, like I said, I, I just wish they had focused a little bit more on that because I assume there's some heated scenes that could have been in there with both of those characters having such strong personalities. It could have been, uh, mm-hmm. been great. Quite yeah. fiery. Yeah, so uh, Manny, that didn't make your top 10, eh? It was my number 10. Okay, yeah, there you go. Uh, bumping out bad boys for life just by one, eh? Yeah, by a hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> number four. I think, I think Mortal Kombat was the 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Number four, I did Chicago Seven. That's got to be on your top ten. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That we we both. Do you want do you want us to reveal where we had them, or do you want to listen to the? Sure, episode? Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me because I had it at four, so you were probably with Chicago. So you liked that a lot, maybe a bit higher. Three. We both had it at three. Yeah. Nice. Good guess. Yeah, yeah. And then Tenant, I went for number three. I imagine you probably Sam had it a bit lower. Manny, you love. I mean, you love. <laughs> I imagine you had it around between two to four. Tenant. Yeah. Nine. Really shocking oh you're off the david fincher dick eh wow that's not david that's not david fincher fuckhead wow that's christopher that's... nolan oh no i'm and... sorry oh jesus i'm, <laughs> I'm well, I was just looking at man here on my page i'm i'm not a nolan fanboy yeah okay Sa- fair enough. Sa- I, sam I likes sam, sam likes nolan more than i do Interesting, yeah, but you went but to you're... see it twice, and you said you wanted to give it a five in your heart, but you ended up giving it a four. So my assumption was you would have put it higher. Well, we I think I think based if I could answer for you, Manny, is just the fact I think we kind of had the same opinion about uh, Tenant in a lot of ways. How we both wanted it so bad to be a five. It's such a creative movie. I I love Christopher Nolan. You are also a fan of Christopher Nolan in some capacity. I I wanted it to be a five so badly. But I'd, it'd be totally dishonest to say that it was, in my opinion. Agree. And I thought the biggest issue when I had this conversation with Manny when it first came out, I thought maybe it was the theater that I was in with that whole sound <laughs> issue. And I just, I couldn't hear. And I was so upset because it's a movie that you do need to pay attention to. And obviously, the more dialogue you hear, the more descriptive uh, that storytelling becomes. But so that was a big issue for me. And then, uh, yeah. Anyway, I enjoy, again, I haven't seen a lot of movies this year, so that was bumped up to three for me. I still I still want to re-watch Tenet again. I saw it twice in theaters, but I want to watch it on Blu-ray with subtitles because totally. there's, there's still that one sailing scene where after two watches, <laughs> I had zero fucking clue. Zero yeah. fucking clue what that scene was about. Yeah, I know. In yeah. an exposition scene. Christopher Nolan had the idea to have an exposition scene on a boat where you can't hear the exposition. It was a bold strategy. Yeah, infuriating. I I, I did leave quite angry from watching that. uh, Yeah, that that really upset me. Uh, And then number two, I just watched it today. Literally, before we started recording, I watched two movies. The one that we're reviewing and this one, Soul. So I I I knew I was gonna like Soul. I just didn't have access to Disney Plus, and I did get access to it today. Uh, stolen account, of course, but uh, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> but uh, oh man, that was great! And I, I thought one of the things too is like Pixar has always been like great, obviously. Um, but the, how realistic the city looked to me was just amazing. Like the city. Yeah, yeah, like, yes, it's a cartoon, but, like, the way that they did, even the walls when he's walking into the club or, like, when he's in a city or whatever, I was like, man, the detail is just through the roof. And then they did those uh, overhead shots of the city at night with, like, the lights and stuff. And it, to the unobserved viewer, if you were to put side by side and just glimpse it in front of their face for a couple of seconds, you might not be able to tell the difference between what was, like, a real picture and what was the Pixar version. Like, it, it was that well done, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you, you're you bang on. As the resident music nerd around here, the aspect of the animation that really impressed me was the accuracy of, like, the, the saxophonist, all the notes that she's playing are, like, dead accurate. His, like, the look of his fingers on the piano is just so, like, natural. The movements are just, like, I don't know, they just look so natural and all the notes are right and stuff. So I, I, I liked that aspect of it. And then, of course, the music. Music was amazing. Music was great. And if I'm not mistaken, you're a drummer, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they did obviously some drumming there too, which you might've liked. And the motion of a drummer obviously is very specific too. So I think you would have enjoyed that, but same thing. I was actually in band class growing up. So what got me was the trombone, the way that she slid it up and down. That movement was very accurate too. Right. Mm -hmm. And when she was sitting in the hallway and, and actually pieced it together and started playing and I was like, Oh man, that's like, it looked great. Well, I know there was this big controversy uh, back in like, I want to say the early 2000s, like 2006, 2007, where uh, when Happy Feet won Best Animated Feature, a bunch of people at Pixar were pissed about it because they used motion capture uh, technology, whereas Pixar wasn't using that. So I'm curious if Soul was made in the absence of motion capture technology as well, because if it was, that's just another degree of difficulty right there. Trying to recreate the motion of that drummer or that trombone player, that saxophonist, trying to recreate that motion without a human model underneath it would be insanely hard. Very much so. And oddly enough, that makes me think of something super off base. But what was the the first movie that was really touted as, as that cartoon drawing so well was The Jungle Book. So I watched yeah. a documentary on how like the movement of him in the in the jungle and stuff like that at that time that was considered to be oh how amazing instead of just being cartoon characters moving it looks like a real body movie and now right. we fast forward to 2020 and we have like I said a Pixar movie where were you to put it in front you might not be able to tell the difference between what is reality and what is Pixar like it's just that well done so. Yeah, kudos to them. The storyline was great too. There was a moment that I was worried he was going to turn a bit uh, too much like the movie. It was it Inside? Is that the one? Inside with Out. Inside Out. Inside Out. Yeah. Uh, I, and I didn't know. Obviously, the name is Soul. I should have figured it out right away. Uh, <laughs> but when he goes into this right away, as he turns into that little soul, it kind of reminded me of those Inside Out characters, right? Because it's just mm-hmm. kind of like a, a figure. And then they had some thematic similarities between that with the. Um, uh, with the development of 22, 21, 22. I can't remember now, 22. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but yeah, I'm glad they didn't go straight down that inside out road because they've kind of already done that. This was mm-hmm. similar, a little different, but uh, inspiring. I liked it. I thought it was great. Uh, Are really you generally a Pixar guy? Am I which? Generally a Pixar guy? Oh, most definitely. I, th- yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember. I, probably the one that I liked the least would be Inside Out. I just, really? oh, I, <laughs> I took psychology in school too. So I was kind of like, it, it was a bit like, meh, like, I don't know. I, I didn't like it as much, to be honest. But have I think that? every other one that have I've watched, seen, I've absolutely loved. Have you loved. seen them all? You're going to hate me. Uh, out of all of them, a couple that I haven't seen. Oh my God, your face right now in anticipation of what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting on bated breath right now. Yeah, you're going to hate it. Uh, on my list of shame. Oh boy, I can't even say it. Toy. Story. <laughs> two and three. Whoa. Oh, you've seen four? You've seen one and four? <laughs> oh God, no, you're right. I haven't seen four either. Oh okay. God. So I've only seen Toy Story one. How much do you hate me? Okay. I think my worry is yeah my worry is because I've heard you talk about it so many times that I'm gonna cry watching it and I just don't think I'm ready for that yet Manny (laughs) Manny how do you feel learning that one of your lifelong best friends (laughs) has not seen I want to say your 19th favorite movie of all all time oh yeah it's up there for him yeah oh he's devastated this face is unbelievable (laughs) Uh, to look at Manny has both hands on top of his head right now (laughs) is now uh he's struggling to find the words Manny you know what? 
I do now have access to Disney Plus, so I'm assuming it is on there because they have all the Pixar movies. Yeah. Because I fucked up so much with the top ten list and they're not doing it, I promise you. <laughs> no, 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 like like that's worth anything. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna rip it out. Like in the next seven days, I'll go straight through just the Toy Stories. I'll do one, two, three, and four this week. Easy. Easy. Did you hear that? P R O M I S E. Oh, I, I, I don't know how to spell it, but I think that's the word. Pretty sure that was you hear me? <laughs> yeah. a little bit. I got to about O, and I was like, this was a mistake. I'll do it. I also have to apologize for other things. But yes, I, I promise I will, because I do remember one was awesome. Um, I don't remember how long it was between two and three coming up, but I do know four took quite some time. Is that like four was recent? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I, I want to say Toy Story two was ninety eight and three was two thousand ten. So it was quite yeah, a gap. There. And number one was five, maybe four or five. Yeah, ninety five. Four. Five. Ninety five. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the year. It's this year that we're starting the retrospective on. Right. Oh, nice. right. Okay. So one and two were a little bit closer, and then yeah, three and and four quite some distance. And I obviously for Manny and you've touched base on this before. I think some of the movie choices now because you have a daughter that it would be things that you want her to watch. So I think you would have watched Toy Story anyway. But I think I that saw, I saw Toy. I saw. Well, I've seen all the Toy Stories in the theater. Oh really? Yeah, I was. I was there. Nineteen ninety five when Toy Story came out. I was there. Ah, a boy. Of course you were. Yeah, okay. Well, don't you worry. I'm going to rip through. But if I cry, oh, man, if I cry, we're going to have to have words about that. I, so, I won't maybe admit it on air. Out of curiosity, what have you had spoiled for you in 2, 3, and 4? Like, how much do you know about those movies? Whatever I have heard in the past, I don't remember. So there okay. was things that I remember hearing before. But because, again, it's been so long. Um yeah, I, I don't remember. So that's, that's very exciting. exciting. You'll have to report back to the to the group chat. That's that's very exciting. Oh, I'm gonna be so. Benny looks more devastated than excited. This is an opportunity. You get to watch Toy Story two and three for the first, for first time. time. I know. Awesome. And now that they've got them all, yeah, without waiting in between, you know, to see the next one. I think yeah. I'm, I'll be excited about that. So okay, that that face is still oh boy, it's <laughs> quite the angry face. It's I, not I, angry. It's it's more shock. Yeah. Well, there's some on your uh, list of shame. I'm sure that would be shocked at. And into my number one, by far my most favorite movie of the year. And I hope you make fun of me for this one too. I think I've already seen it five times and I've recommended it to many people. And then I've sat beside them and watched it like a child waiting for them to laugh at the next line. And that would be Palm Springs. Uh, Chards, we're not going to laugh at you for that one because believe it or not, that was Manny and my number one oh, movie of the year. Oh, vindication! Straight <laughs> up, eight. Pew 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 pew. <laughs> no way, really. We yeah. both had it. I was I was just as shocked as you. I was That's surprised crazy. that I had it number one. I was surprised that Manny had it number one, and now you as well. Because Manny's, yeah, that is very surprising because he's not a big Andy Samberg fan. I'm yeah. not a hater though. I'm just not a fan. I I, yeah. I, I don't watch his TV show. I don't. I didn't right. watch SNL, so I ha I have no relationship with him. Okay, it's almost too bad that you haven't watched Brooklyn Nine Nine because he is a little like over the top in that, and I mm -hmm. think this is a refreshing change. Uh, Sam, do you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yeah, I've, I watched it for the first time all the way through uh, when my job first shut down back in like March at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, took, beauty! Took, 
took that time to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine all the way through. And I, I was a, a big, big, big fan. I love the character of Jake Peralta. A hundred percent. I really like it. And I think this thankfully is like a much tamed down version because he can get a little overboard. You come from those days of SNL sketches and then you get those movies like That's My Boy, which I jokingly say is a great, great movie. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not a one out of four. It's definitely a two out of four. Anyway, um, to have this one just tamed down and it makes sense because of his character because he's done it so many times he's so lackadaisical about it i think it's a great movie i thought it was super funny and yep. uh yeah every time i watch it like i said probably five times already uh, i get a kick out of it i managed uh, to go into it spoiler free like literally all I, all i knew about it was that andy sandberg was in it that was it and i'm yeah. so happy because the first 20 minutes of that movie are elevated <laughs> so much when you have no fucking idea what's happening. hundred percent. So I feel better. bad. I feel bad for anyone who goes in that say like seen a trailer and knows what's going to happen. Cause yeah, I felt the exact same way. I'm like, I'm, I was just so happy. So ready for it because it just combines everything. I like, I, I like a rom-com. I like time travel. I like something that's like eerie and weird. And you know, you get, uh, um, what's his pickle coming there and shooting him? Uh, J.K. Simmons. I was like, oh <laughs> fuck! My reaction was the same as her character. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, and shocking. then, yeah, and then it got so funny too. I think probably one of the funniest was at the wedding there when they they start spoiling every day and they've got the bomb inside the wedding cake and she's <laughs> the stupid claw head and yeah. she does that accent and he goes something about like origins unknown because of her accent is so bad. <laughs> And then uh, she throws that and then, oh, hand-to-hand combat it's to be. And then she tackles him and whatever. So anyway, yeah, I thought, I'm so glad you guys had that one. That uh, that makes me excessively happy. Charles, did yeah. I recommend that movie for you? What's that? Was I the one that recommended the movie for you? You did indeed. I uh, I think I saw it. I actually do have Amazon Prime. And as I, oh, no, that's stolen from friend of the podcast, Adam. <laughs> okay, so I have it on my TV and I flipped by it, but I didn't even, I, I noticed the words Palm Spring, but I didn't see any, like the picture. I didn't really look at it. So I didn't, I, it was an afterthought. I just flipped through and you had said, the night you were watching it, I think you said, I'm going to sit down and watch Palm Springs tonight. I said, okay, fuck it. I'll watch it too. So I, I believe we watched it for the first time the same night. Hmm. But you knew going in that it had something to do with time travel, you I said. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, knew, I knew it was, for anybody listening, skip ahead 15 seconds. <laughs> going into the movie, I knew it was a Groundhog Day. Kind okay. Of yeah. that's, I knew it was Andy Samberg, and I knew it was a Groundhog Day type of thing, and that's it. That's what I, So I had that ruined for me. Uh, yeah, that kind of sucks because that does really ruin that first 15 minutes. It but does. It, does, it, yeah. it did not diminish my enjoyment obviously because it's my number one movie of the year do you think because this year was such shitty movies that it still would have made your number one because that's quite high up there considering some of the other ones that you like i don't i I don't you've said it a a bunch of times i don't think this was a year of shitty movies okay i do (laughs) well you've watched seven of them (laughs) at mortal club and one of them was a fucking anime on a fucking video game yeah And the other one was fucking Bad Boys 3, for fuck's sakes. (laughs) This was actually a pretty good year for movies. Are there there any... I would... My opinion of... uh, No, there was. There were some really good movies that came out this year. Are there any that are really going to quite stand the test of time? I don't know. But 
Palm Springs for me is a is going to be a comedy classic. This is a movie that I'm going to revisit over and over and over again. If I want to watch something light and fun and have a good time, Palm Springs is going to be near the top of my list. Absolutely. So this is a movie that might stand the test of the time. A lot of the, you know, prestige films that were that did come out this year, I don't know if they'll quite sit up in the upper echelon of movies that I will consider some of the greatest of all time. But there was a lot of really good movies this year. A lot of really good movies. Yeah. yeah I, I, you guys had mentioned on the, on the group chat, is it promising young, promising women? young woman? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. So that's going to be on the list. And then mm-hmm. what's the sound of metal sound of metal, yeah. I think is one that you'll really like Mike. To be honest, I, I kind of know a little bit of what it's like, uh, and it reminds me, it makes me think of, there's like a comedy version of that already. It, it's not a comedy, is it? Or no. is it a comedy? No. No, it's, it's pretty somber. It's pretty no. somber. Okay, so there's the exact opposite. There's like a comedy version of that already. That's, oh my God, it's probably been out for 15 years. It's a British film. Um, you know what? I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But uh, yeah, it's the same idea. He's like a famous DJ. Oh, it's called, it's all gone Pete Tong. I've heard, I've heard that i've heard never, of that no. movie never seen it yeah no nope, so, no idea yeah it's this famous like massive dj and this is right during that time like you know 10 years ago when these guys are in front of big you know massive crowds at festivals and doing ibiza anyway he's a dj obviously relying on his ears and then he becomes deaf so he has to try to and he botches it of course you can't dj without the use of your ears and it's sort of it's his but it's got like the real comic twist where he's like just gets heavy into the cocaine and it's very british so like it's a I mean, it's funny. I assume Sound of Metal, not so funny. No, no. Sound of Metal is yeah. nothing I don't, like that. I don't <laughs> think I laughed during Sound of Metal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, I'll have to give that one a go, too. So I assume those would easily sneak onto the list. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm i glad you got and And, Manny, how many times Palm Springs for you already? Two, uh, three? Four. Attaboy. Yeah, four, I can Oh, shit. I'm lagging behind. I've still only seen it the one time. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to need to. going to need to well, revisit You've got the list of things uh, for this show that you have to watch. So we yeah, also have like 20 years. This guy keeps me fucking busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there it is. That's the top 10. Sorry it took so long. And uh, I I hope you, uh, for the whole next year, shit on it. Oh, 70% ain't bad, Shards. <laughs> a passing grade. The B plus? Yeah, B. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. All right, let's get into the show. Well, I guess I should talk about our social media now that I'm done shitting on my so-called friend here. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts as it does increase the profile of our podcast allows more people to find us. Boom. So starting this week... And uh, going forward, we're going to be doing this as we see fit, but we feel that we want to honor the artists that we have lost. And so each week, if somebody has uh, passed away that Sam and I would like to recognize, uh, we're going to take a moment to do so. And so for this week's episode... Uh, we're actually going to honor the actor that passed, and that's Christopher Plummer. And how we're going to honor these people in their passing is we're just going to quickly go over uh, our five favorite performances or five favorite films that they've been in or whatever way. We're not going to spend too much time on it. We don't want to uh, suck up a lot of the you know, the time on the podcast, but 
as we're moving forward this pandemic and uh as i'm getting older a lot of the people that mean a lot to me have passed are starting to pass away and so we're going to take this time to just thank and honor the people that have stood out in the art form that uh, we truly enjoy uh Sam uh, completely forgot about the, this new uh, part of the show, and so he is completely unprepared. But then the person I was just finishing throwing under the bus actually did prepare a list. Oh, <laughs> Sam, uh, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I just like to defend myself slightly just because when you texted me you wanted to do this bit about Christopher Plummer, I said, I'm not sure I'd have a ton to say about Christopher Plummer, honestly. And then I said, also, did you hear Trevor Bauer just got traded to the Dodgers? So... <laughs> I- <laughs> So that was my initial response. I did try to compile uh, a little bit of like a top five list. Mm-hmm. It wound up turning into a five movies Christopher Plummer's in that I have seen. Uh, but, but that's that's about it. Okay. I, well, why don't we course, get your why don't we get your half ass list out of the way first? Yeah, for sure. So um, obviously, I mean, I want to start with Knives Up because that's the one I've most recently seen. Uh, he's uh, excellent in that one. That's a, that's a great movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. Oh, um, so good. And he has a, a really, really calm, wise presence in that. Of course, Sound of Music is one that uh, he, that's what he's going to be most well known for. If I was to uh, if I was to bet, uh, and then uh, I also in just in my research, uh, just five minutes before we hit record, I found out that he's he's a voice actor in Up. I had no idea in the in the Pixar movie Up. So. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at three. Just I mean I I found others that I've seen him in, but it's literally like The Insider, which I've seen once because of Manny, and National Treasure, which I will neglect to mention. Okay. <laughs> All right, Chards, your top uh, your top five. Do, I, do you have them ranked just out of curiosity? Uh, I don't. I kind of did for mine for top five. I did uh, not necessarily what I thought were his best performances, but top five that I really enjoy the movies the most like and i've seen them multiple times and really like them so this um, is more this is more your favorite movies that he's been in correct not not because of him but he's been a part of them that's correct okay. and i gotta be honest each like some of these i've seen you know seven eight times sure all so, right fire away i thought actually sam when you said the thing you're interesting that you're gonna learn about him was that he was born in toronto canada i thought that mm-hmm. was gonna be your little tidbit <laughs> Okay, so I went with uh, Inside Man. Love that movie. Great. And and he's nice. in a good scene at the end there, like nice integral scene there with uh, Jodie Foster. That's just a great one in the barbershop. Uh, and I did actually go with Up too because uh, it, it, the, watching the movie, I didn't know it was him. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, man, that's great. He He's great in that. Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Awesome movie. Oh, Sam hasn't just, seen it. No. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's just tops and yeah he's awesome in that and then i did go with sound of music man i must have seen that like at least 10 times growing up it was kind of once a year when it was on tv you'd end up tuning in and watching it and then a little shout out for today's uh movie that we'll be discussing i went with 12 monkeys not a big role at all in it but i do love this movie i've seen it a bunch so he he squeezes in there so nice little segue all right for my uh, top five list for Christopher Plummer, I actually I do have mine ranked, and I have them. These are based on his his performance, not mm. the movies themselves. So my number five uh, pick for Christopher Plummer is his role as Harlan Thrombey in Knives Out. Sam, uh, sorry, not Sam. Mike, have you seen Knives Out? I have not. Oh, dude, it's great. Great it's, little whodunit. It's on Prime. You should put, really. Yeah, you should put it near the top of your list. You know what? Yeah. 
add that to my notes for this. I got to go the, through the Toy Stories and now Knives Out. It made both of our top tens for 2019. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number four Christopher Plummer performance is Charles Muntz in Up. So good. He's cool. really good in it. It's a great villain. Uh, it's a really well done movie. I think he's fantastic in it. My number three Christopher Plummer performance is Mike Wallace in The Insider. I think he's absolutely spectacular. I'm a big fan of that movie. Sam didn't like the movie as much as I did, but I'm a huge fan of The Insider. Not going to lie. I can't even remember which one The Insider was right now. Is that uh, is that the uh, Russell Crowe one? Yeah, the Russell Crowe whistleblower movie. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that one. My number two performance is a personal – it's a Homer pick. And that's where he plays Chang in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, I just want to clarify something. Christopher Plummer, the, the man that we're all talking the same person we're talking about, yes. played a character named Chang? He, yeah, it's it, he plays a Klingon. Got it. Okay. It becomes slightly more acceptable if it's from an alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's having a lot of fun in that movie. And uh, the movie itself is... Well, is as long as somebody is. Yeah, that movie's uh, that movie's a lot of fun. It's a really great movie. If if you're but a Star Trek fan, but not your favorite Star Trek. Your favorite's the one with the whales. Yeah, Star Trek Four <laughs> might be my favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that one. Right, have, have you ever considered uh, making me watch all those old Star Trek movies for the podcast? Yes, I have. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, Charles. I'm sure you can guess, but I haven't seen any of like the Wrath of Khan or like yeah. uh, Search for Spock, or I haven't seen any of those. Were you even born when any of the? You must have been. When, did, when did six Five. come out? Yeah. When did six come out? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I, uh, I was born. I was born '96, so I wouldn't count on it. Have you seen the the new uh, Star Trek ones? Uh, I haven't seen Beyond, but I saw. Uh, the first one, I think it was just called Star Trek, and then yeah. In Darkness. Saw both of those. Honestly, the first Star Trek with uh, with Chris Pine and uh, Zachary Pinto, amazing. In my I opinion. thought it was great. Well, was number, oh, on number two is you get that whole beauty of him yelling Khan, but now you don't get the reference because you haven't seen the original. I get, I get the reference. It's, get, like, yeah. it's like a whole it's, reversal. It, it's yeah. a, it, that's a very that's a very famous movie moment. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I know that I know that moment for sure. Uh, Star Trek okay. Six came out five years before you were born. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and well, that'll be interesting when you rip through those. I don't think the uh, that's the way down. That's way down the line. Yeah, well, you better get it out of the way quick because I don't think those uh, special effects are going to hold up at all. <laughs> uh, they don't. Well, who knows? Uh, and then my number one is the obvious one. My number one is Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. Yeah. He is great in it. It's a fantastic film. Everything you've heard about The Sound of Music is true. It is considered one of the all-time greats for a reason. So that is our little ode and, and in memoriam to Christopher Plummer. Thank you for everything you've done, Christopher. We truly appreciate it. All right, let's get into what we've been watching Chards already told us what he's been watching as he worked so hard to fill out his top 10 list and failed miserably. Uh, Sam has uh, spent the last couple of weeks watching uh, stuff for this podcast and to fill out his top 10. Oh, Sam's giving me a high five. 
I, I also just want to give a sec to toot my own horn and say I spent this past weekend being a good boyfriend. It was it was my girlfriend's birthday, so I uh, didn't have a lot of time to watch movies. We were, uh, we were doing some uh, social distance birthday celebration. Good for you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We, we weren't distance. We're I was going to say, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Actually, speaking of birthdays, happy birthday to my daughter, Maya. Oh, yeah. I saw oh, that on cute. Facebook. Yeah. Was she seven now? She is seven. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know she's a big listener of the show, so uh, we'll give her a little birthday <laughs> shout out here. Big time, big time. She likes to hear Daddy swear about movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she doesn't have to listen to the podcast for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So Sam and, and Charles were both busy. Uh, so actually, all I've been doing is uh, is holding up my end of stuff I've been watching. So we'll go over ones. Uh, we'll get through them pretty quickly here. Uh, first up is the what would this be labeled as? Let's see what IMDb says. Oh, it's a sports drama draft day. Oh, you you have a thing for this movie, don't you? Well, it's because I like Kevin Costner. That makes sense. Have you have either one of you seen Draft Day? No. Shake is either, of the head. Is either one of you an American football fan? Nod of the head. Okay, Sam. <laughs> if you get a chance one day, this should not be anywhere near the top of your list to watch because I have much better films on your must-watch list. But when you get a chance, I want you to watch this movie and I can't wait to hear what you think of the trades that happen in this movie because oh they are ludicrous. Yeah? Yeah. Um, All right. No, I've been I've been curious about it for a while because I know you have a thing for this movie. I know it's... Uh, would you consider it a guilty pleasure? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yes. I, I know you have sort of a, a guilty pleasure vibe for this movie, but it, I'm also just kind of interested. It's a sports movie, and, like, why not? So I might check it out. It's worth checking out if you can <laughs> if you can get past the ludicrous <laughs> trades that are the entire plot of this movie. <laughs> you might find it enjoyable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you seem giddy at the idea, so, it's, yeah. I'm, you, you will – if if – Anybody watching this is a sports fan. They watch this movie, and they hear the actual trades that go on in this movie. They'll be like, "This is fucking bullshit." <laughs> it's- well, now you you have gotten my attention. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so draft day, it's super enjoyable for me. I am one hundred percent biased because I I love Kevin Costner. Uh, the movie is fun for what it is. It uh, Chadwick Boseman has a, a small role. Um, but it makes me happy to see him in it. In the few scenes that he's in, he, of course, is a standout. It's it's if you're looking for something light and breezy, it draft day is an easy selection. Uh, I gave it a three out of five. Cool. Uh, right. Next up is I decided to I actually bought this uh, on uh, on iTunes a long time ago. It was on sale for five bucks, and I was like, I enjoy this movie. I can watch it one or two times over the next 10 years to make it worth the $5 investment. And this was the uh, action-adventure movie, Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, boy. Old. Sam, have you seen this movie? Nope. I know that Chards has. Long time ago. Yeah. Post-Titanic, right? Yeah, I think it's yeah. the second movie he did after Titanic because I think he did Beaches and then this. Yeah, The Beach. Yeah, yeah, the beach, right? Sorry, yeah, beaches is the Bette Midler, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weepy drama. Um, the Man in the Iron Mask. I remember not really being much of a fan of it when it came out in '98 because I was I was kind of anti DiCaprio after the Titanic hype. 
I think it was probably about maybe two or th- actually I th- it was actually maybe three more years before I got on board because it was uh, Catch Me If You Can where I was like, okay, this kid's got talent. So this is where I, I thought he was just kind of like a pretty boy, kind of you know the latest heartthrob. Uh, watching it now, knowing where DiCaprio has come, uh, you can see the talent in this man. Uh, he plays two roles uh, in this movie, and uh, he's he's pretty good. You can see that the guy has chops. This is the same thing. It's not to be taken seriously. It's a fun little action adventure. It was fine. It was exactly what I thought. When I put it on, I got exactly what I wanted out of it. Uh, Man the Iron Mask, 3 out of 5. Middle of the road movies this week. Yeah, middle of the road movies. Uh, I think I think the two that you just mentioned uh, from DiCaprio, Man in the Iron Mask, and The Beach might might be two of the only ones in his filmography that I'm missing. I would actually... I think I've seen... I, I'd be surprised if... You, have you seen Body of Lies? Oh, and you know what? I'm all, I haven't, and I'm also just remembering I haven't seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's more than I'm... There... But I, I think once we get to the year 2000, I've seen most. Okay. Body of Lies is a, is a movie I really enjoy. Hmm. Uh, next up is a uh, comedy romance. Uh, a lot of people would consider this a rom com. I don't. And actually, I think we did. We I think did we talk about this. I can't remember if we talked about this. Oh, whatever. I'll talk about it again. Uh, this is not a rom com, in my opinion, because the main plot of this movie is more about the uh, friendship between the females, and that's bridesmaids. Mm, we never yeah, have right. had an excuse to talk about bridesmaids. I wanted to revisit this. This was obviously a smash hit. I remember not really being the biggest fan of it when it came out. And I've watched it a few times since, so I decided to revisit it. I had a lot of moments that I enjoyed and then some that I didn't. I fully, completely understand why people love this movie. Obviously, the dress-fitting scene is comedy gold like comedy gold that's usually the first scene people talk about i feel like it's so well done and all the actresses in it are so incredibly gifted in that scene everyone just fucking kills it the way the way that Kristen wig eats that almond (laughs) is like literally fucking just kills me every time it's so funny the way she it looks like she wants to fucking vomit the second it touches her lips and she goes through with it and slays me like kudos to her the lack of vanity in that scene like you get close up and she's just sweating and her fucking <laughs> makeup looks like shit because she's it it's it's really well done i i got some really good laughs out of it but again it it just kind of stayed where it was in my memories of it it was a 3 out of 5 for me Anything on Bridesmaids charts? No, I've only seen it once. I do remember definitely laughing out loud numerous times, and absolutely that scene in the uh, dress is one of them. Good setup for that, too. Uh, And McCarthy, hilarious in it. Uh, I remember enjoying it. Yeah, Paul Feig is that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I I might have to go middle of the road, too. I don't even think I ever rated it at the time. I just kind of watched it, and then that was it. Uh, John Hamm is fucking hilarious in it. Who? John Hamm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In the morning, which actually that's a funny scene too. In the morning when she's 
getting all beautified because he wakes up beside her and she oh, oh what i just woke up like this <laughs> uh, like, yeah, i want like, to ask i want to ask you to leave but i don't want to sound like a dick <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's right that's good yeah 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 and her little her little um character arc too with the other guy doesn't she end up then together with the is he a cop or like a traffic guy i just remember yeah 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 Yeah, that's good i I didn't mind that movie yeah next up is a movie i can't call i don't know if i call it a guilty pleasure hold on let's take a look at the metascore rating oh no i can't call it a guilty pleasure it's a metascore 68 uh, it's a movie that I've I've probably watched like maybe four or five times now, and I don't know why. I just really fucking love it, and that's uh, that's Chef by John Favreau. Oh, so good! Yeah, I'm on board with that pick for sure. Yeah, it's just it's it's just really fun. That he has really great chemistry with John Leguizamo. The kid isn't as strong of a kid actor, but John Favreau really knows how to put a really fun movie together he lets robert downey jr kind of go off the rails in his one scene just kind of lets him do whatever he wants just fine the guy's you know making 50 million a year and he's doing you a favor to come do one scene in your movie let him do what he wants but uh the movie is is a lot of fun and it, every time i watch it just fucking makes me hungry yeah have you watched that his because he's got the spin-off tv series now right no, I've never, Chef I've on. N- never watched it I think you would. I I don't know necessarily if you're into cooking shows, but I think what makes you are okay, good. So you're gonna doubly enjoy it then, because I think what makes it so good is so when he was going to film uh, Chef, he wanted to have an actual proper chef, how to show him to make it as authentic as as possible, and he went with uh, is it uh, Roy Choi, I think, Mm -hmm. and he. It, it was funny because he had interviewed so many other people to do it, but he said when he came in there, Roy was just straight up like, I'm not going to put up with any bullshit. It's going to be my way or the highway. This is how we're going to do it. If you're not down for that, then don't pick me. And he knew at that moment that that's the guy he wanted to train him. So <laughs> he said, not only did he enjoy that whole process, but he said, as soon as they were done filming, he really, <coughs> excuse me, he really missed cooking with him and learning from him. So the, series that you see on netflix now that chef that whole first season was them just filming with no reason other than they wanted to do it they didn't have a deal with anybody they didn't know it was going to be on netflix it was just them being like you know what i miss chatting with you i miss doing this kind of stuff i miss cooking let's just do it and see what happens with it and now you've got like i think they're probably three or four seasons in oh and they've they've always invited on guests that you would love to. So they've had one where they had some marvel people on so they had tom holland they have robert downey jr they had one with gwyneth paltrow uh, they've had one with um, uh, what's your pickle? Uh, Did Gwyneth Paltrow Scar- put magic rocks in in the food? No, I can't remember what they did though. They did uh, Scarlett Johansson, and she was in Chef, so they did her pasta dish. But yeah, you would love it. It's great, and and just the talk that they have, obviously, because most of the people have been either chefs or in movies. So you basically get movie cooking and cooking. So I would, I would do Scarlett Johansson's pasta dish. <laughs> Oh, she, she's on the list of uh, yeah. crushes, female crushes. Yeah, you could say that. She's high on, she's high on my list, too. Uh, yeah. and we all know Manny's. Yeah, yeah, Charlize. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The I was about to say the last movie that we're going to talk about, not quite yet. Uh, oh, did you, did you rate, oh. Jeff? Uh, four. 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 Yeah, four yeah. out of just pure enjoyment. The movie itself is fine, but like the enjoyment I get out of it, it's a four for me. This next movie is actually one that Sam's been recommending for a while. Ooh, nice. And I finally decided to check it out. 
And by a while, I mean like a few weeks. I finally decided to check it out. And it actually took me two days. It's not the one you're hoping for, Sam. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not the one you're hoping for. It's not your number mm-hmm. two if that's what you're thinking. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what I thought it was. No, it's it's another one. It it took me two days for me to determine my rating on this because there were parts of it that I didn't hate, but I was just like, oh, I don't know. But I ended up giving this a four, Sam. And that's the rom com straight up. Oh nice. Nice. Okay, I'm happy you watched this. Yeah, it's uh, it's on Netflix. Um, charge the uh, uh, the plot is uh, Todd and Rory are intellectual soulmates. He might be gay, she might not care. A romantic comedy drama with a twist, a love story without the thrill of copulation. It's basically about this guy who is unsure if he's gay, but isn't really. He doesn't. He has big hangups over fluids so he doesn't want to have sex but he meets his he meets his soulmate who is a girl and they start dating but they don't have sex and i can tell you right now what's the what's the girl's name is it that's not her name is omar is it no where it is, is. or where's Rory? i can't katie her finley name. her name really that's a shitty picture of her in there i'm just gonna double check yeah that's her katie it's finley true. a fucking revelation yeah right. she is really good and so incredibly adept at dialogue mm-hmm. and whoever plays todd james sweeney whoa the guy that wrote and directed is the actual star of the movie that can't be true yeah i'm just oh, looking shit, that up right is. now is yeah, that yeah. true james sweeney james sweeney james sweeney holy shit oh, fuck. i didn't know that okay that impresses that makes me it that he is there was times where I was just like, ah, not for me. But then other, especially in his scenes with Rory, they're mm-hmm. really good on screen together. And not once do I ever not believe that they are truly soulmates. And mm-hmm. I had a really great time with this, especially, I'm not talking about like Academy Award worthy performances here, but their acting is Again, especially with this Katie girl, well above what this Netflix level movie should be. And I just had a really great time. But it took me a bit to give it a score because I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. But I, I did I did the exact same thing. It kind of left me scratching my head. Yeah. It has it has issues. It, in particular, the dialogue is great. But I think I said this to you when I watched it. It feels like the entire movie is on fast forward. Yes. <laughs> like they really just power through this dialogue. And like I, I actually watched it with subtitles because they just go, go, go on this. People talking over each other, people yeah. talking quick. And it's only an hour and a half. I was like, slow the fuck down. But when they when there's a couple of scenes in there where the dialogue is just absolutely masterful. It's just masterfully performed. It's unbelievable. Uh, and we're not talking like we're not even talking like crackling dialogue it's just the speed at which James and Caitlin are speaking and going back and forth with one another that is super impressive Mm -hmm. and honestly the chemistry between the two of them is at another level they have the type of chemistry that people search for because these two when they're on screen together 
you re- you see how good they are because when they're in a scene with somebody else, it's completely different. Yeah, it's uh, it was I I really enjoyed it and I'm really glad. Th- this was this was exactly what I was looking for. Like it's an hour and a half long, and I think I had like an hour and forty five minutes before I had to go to bed, and I was looking for something to watch that I could just kind of just watch. I didn't want to have to invest in anything. That's why I avoided your number two film. Sam, mm-hmm. <laughs> I will. I will get to it because uh, that will be a process. Yes, I, uh, yeah. I I didn't feel like it, fucking weeping uncontrollably. So yeah, that's 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 fine. Uh, there's one scene in Straight Up where even though it's a funny scene, I don't think I laughed. I just said, "Wow, what what an incredible bit of dialogue there." It's the scene where uh, Todd is confusing two expressions. He says something like let's talk about the white elephant in the room. Yes. And she, she calls him out on it. She's like, no, no, no. Like white elephant and elephant in the room are two completely different expressions. So he's trying to have this serious conversation with her and she's trying to be like, no, but you're wrong about this expression. And they're like having two different conversations at once. And they're just like, it's like a little battle that they have. It's probably like two minutes long. And I, by the end of it, I felt like I was out of breath watching this conversation. <laughs> and it was, it was funny. But at the end, I didn't laugh. I just went, "Wow, that was a fantastic scene. That was a fantastic comedic scene." It was the the movie is the movie is really good, and it's probably one that I will probably revisit from time to time. I had I had a really great time with this movie, and I'm looking forward to watching it again down the line. Great, yeah. awesome, good to hear. All right, one more movie before we get into this week's main part of the episode, and this is the 1999. Horror mystery thriller, Stir of Echoes. Now, quite a few months ago, a good friend of mine uh, by the name of Michael Chardulo, uh, he asked me to watch this movie. He's like, I really want you to watch this movie because I want to talk to you about it. He's also been asking me to watch a movie called The Grand Budapest Hotel. So I had some free time, and I said, I will finally get to Grand Budapest Hotel. I've made him a promise that I would get it done before a certain amount of time, and I missed the deadline by a few days. So I said, okay, because I, I, I failed in my promise, I will watch this other movie that you've been asking me to watch almost immediately. <coughs> I put this movie on thinking I had seen it before. And as the movie's moving forward, I'm realizing I haven't, I, I haven't seen this. I'm not recalling anything. That's going on. I get about mm, 45 minutes in, just over halfway. And I'm getting angry because this movie's a piece of shit. I am not enjoying myself. Sam, have you watched this yet? No? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. uh, You did say if you can see Stir of Echoes by the time we record our episode with Chards, you should do so. Obviously, like we've talked about, I had kind of a busy week. Yeah. Between your review of it and Jordan's review of it, <laughs> I dodged a fucking bullet, and I will not be watching this movie. Oh, you will. You're opting. Yes, you're will. opting out of the fucking club. You chicken oh, shit. Oh, this is the this is the club movie, isn't it? Yep. Oh fuck. Okay. Yeah, I, I do have to watch it for sure. Okay. It's like pay it forward, but with a bad movie. <laughs> so, on the very rare occasion when I'm in the middle of watching a movie I've never seen before. I, I grab my phone and I text 
Michael, what the serious fuck are you making me watch here? This movie's a piece of shit. And he's like, just wait till the end. Just wait till the end. Really solid it. Really solid it. I keep watching. Waiting for this end. This movie is... Hold on. I'm going to just double check what the budget is. Uh, quick question. Yeah. Is there a rule for these club movies against getting blasted drunk while watching them? No. I know. No, yeah. No rule against that. Okay, perfect. Then I'm so in. I love watching bad movies while intoxicated. Okay. So it's this... a delightful film. Shut your mouth. <laughs> so, this. I'm not enjoying myself. The budget is $12 million. And the reason I was checking the budget is it. No word of a lie. It feels like, honestly, everyone had one take. One take. They're like, you have one chance to do the scene. Oh, you fucked it up? We don't care. Moving on. The acting in this movie is so fucking bad. It is so bad. I'm not hating this movie. The story is good enough where I'm wondering what's going to be coming forward. I'm not hating this movie. This is not what men want level hatred. But I'm just like, why the fuck is he recommending this? Like, how far apart are we on our opinions of this? What could possibly be in this movie that he would want to discuss? A little bit of spoiler, Sam, but I'm sure you don't care. This ghost appears. And she shows up a couple times. I was like, huh, she looks kind of familiar. It's weird. Where do I know that person from? And what I like to do is if I can't recognize somebody, I will give myself as long as I can to try and figure out who it is until I jump onto IMDb to figure it out. And I'm like, God damn. I'm like, I, 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 my first thought, honestly, this was my first thought, even though I know it could not be the case because she would be way too fucking young. I was like, that looks like Abigail Breslin. Mm-hmm. It's not Abigail Breslin, but they look similar, even though it's impossible that they could be the same person because I think Abigail president probably would have been about two years old in 1999. Uh, fun fact. That'll make you feel old. Me and Abigail president are the same age. That makes me just, dis- so she was three. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> All right. So I think finally, after I seen this ghost about four times, I'm like, I, I, I gotta find out who it is. So I look it up and uh, hold on. I got to find her name. Um, her name is uh, – the actress's name is Jennifer Morrison. And then it, I realize it, – it hurts me in my heart as I realize I think I know why Chards wanted me to watch this movie. And if this is the fucking reason, I'm going to be fucking mad. <laughs> so I finished the movie. Credit, credit where credit's due. The last act is actually pretty good. The last act of the movie is actually pretty good. I text Chards. I'm done. <laughs> About 25 minutes later, my phone rings. And it's Michael motherfucking Chardulo. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm pretty sure after he gets his uh, phone recognition that he always loves. I think the next words were, why the fuck did you make me watch this movie? <laughs> and he goes, did you recognize the, the ghost of the girl at the end? 
The actress is Jennifer Morrison. She plays a character named Zoe on How I Met Your Mother. This is the fucking reason he makes me watch this piece of shit movie. So we can talk about a girl who's on one of my favorite shows is an, one of her early performances in her career. That's the only reason he asked me to watch this fucking movie. The only reason. Oh, man. There was a secondary reason. And what was that? I couldn't even fucking remember. I told you because it was the same year as Sixth Sense. Oh, Did yes. you see it? How many similarities and was it possible somebody had seen that script yeah. and ripped off one or the other? Yeah, we, we got into that kind of discussion. Stir Vecos is a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as he's making it seem. The acting, yes, I would agree with you on that. This is quintessential 1990s like every B-movie actor you can find and Kevin Bacon. So <laughs> it's, I mean, you're not getting good acting out of this. This is, I don't think... I can even recall any other movies these actors have been in. I can only recall TV series. That's how like low bar it is. Well, however, okay, go ahead. No, no, please finish your thought. I was going to say though, however, there was moments, and I know because you even said that the third act was good, the final act. There was moments that would have surprised you in that, and there would have been, especially like that whole flashback thing, which we won't do any spoilers, but. Mm how that played in at the end. Mm -hmm. I know you were surprised by that. And I know you're probably, I mean, not necessarily impressed, but to have that caliber of a movie come up with something like that, I was like, okay, this is, it's decent. Um, you didn't like the jump scares. And I agree because they use those lame, cheesy tactics where they really quick camera flash and something's there and they do the big, you know, brash sound and you're supposed to be scared. They did overutilize it a bit. Um, but I thought what was even, it, different scary would have been things like the more psychological thing, like the movie screen where you're supposed to see the word. And then later on, when he goes under the second time, you see a different word that flashes up. I'm like, okay, we're going somewhere here. So you have to admit there were some parts in it where you weren't expecting it and you were definitely intrigued enough to finish it. Minus me saying that you had to. <laughs> well, it's, I, I can't remember the last movie I didn't finish. If even like an absolute piece of saying, shit movie, I will, yeah. I will get, I will sit through the whole thing even if I fucking want to gouge my eyes out and I'm talking to you, I'm thinking of ending things. Um, yeah. So I, I honestly can't, I honestly can't remember the last movie that I didn't finish if I hadn't already seen it before. So fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will, I will sadly torture myself. Yes. I'm glad. The, the last, the last act of the movie helps redeem it. And it's the last act of this movie that bumps it up to a two out of five for me. Three out of five. Yeah, three out of five. He's wrong, Sam. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He shouldn't have his own podcast. This gentleman does not know films. Oh, <laughs> his own podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah, fair enough. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> You're right. And I'm forgetting who's top billing on this, too. We're talking yeah, about the exactly. top <laughs> Not the Manuel and Samuel movie podcast. I don't know when the last time we checked was, but yeah, uh, no. top billing to Sam because he yeah. knows this movie. <laughs> so Stir of Echoes, uh, two out of five and or three out of five. I guess I'll uh, I'll be the tiebreaker. Well, the other uh, friend of the podcast, Adam Lazanero, watched it. He gave it a three. I think he had set out a nostalgic purposes, and I would agree. This did come out the same year as Sixth Sense and has similar qualities to it. So I think. Um, being from watching movies in that era, I think maybe that would have, for me, bumped it up to a three. I don't know. Uh, I, I am just checking Letterboxd right now to confirm a suspicion that I had. So, uh, <laughs> Chart, you gave it a three, and Adam yes. gave it a three? Adam gave yeah. it a three. And Manny gave it a two. Yeah. Are you aware that that friend of the show, past and future guest Jordan Spires, my roommate, gave this a one? 
Oh, wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's some hatred for the film. Okay, did she watch it after Manny blasted it? Because there yes. could be some persuasion. Okay, that's horseshit. Yeah. Yes, every everybody. Bring the jury. I was I was the first, and I feel bad for blast for for blasting it publicly. But I was so fucking mad I couldn't hold back. Oh. Going going forward, I will not be revealing my score or my or my thoughts on the movie until a couple other people have done it. And I feel, yeah, I, I do feel bad because my initial blast was so fucking bad. I think it did affect <laughs> other people's opinions on it. Yeah, you persuaded for sure in that one. No, when uh, I asked Jordan uh, after she said she'd watch it, I was like, "Oh, if I if I wind up watching this thing, would you would you maybe want to watch it with me?" I believe she said, "Not a fucking chance." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not rewatchable. That I mean, it's probably been fifteen years since I watched it last. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I have, I genuinely have no idea what to expect at this point. Set the bar right in the middle at about a 2.5, and I think you'll have oh, a good time. Right. <laughs> have, some, have some, have some drinks. Have some, have some tasty food. It's not, it's, it's not a big ask because it's only a buck forty. Okay, it's only, yeah, it's right. only an hour forty. This was, clo- if this was closer to two hours, charge, we would have words. Right, and, and and I've suggested another movie to you to watch, and I'm fearful now that you won't watch it because of this, uh, what has transpired here. And so, Sam, I'll ask you, have you ever seen the movie Safety Not Guaranteed? No, nope, don't know it. Yeah, God damn it. <laughs> I think both of you would enjoy it thoroughly, and I'm not saying that facetiously, <laughs> and I'm not, there's no surprise, like, ending where it's, oh, look at this actor, actress. It's, an, it's Mark uh, Duplass and... Um, Aubrey Plaza. And oh, I like Aubrey. I like Aubrey Plaza. You really I like, like it. I like Parks and Rec. You ever watch Parks and Rec? I haven't, but I know she's in it. Yeah, she's really good in it. Yeah, and uh, the other one is the gentleman from New Girl. I can't remember his name. Uh, John Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Trust me, it, it is a good film, and I honestly believe both of you will thoroughly enjoy it. And so I do hope that you will take movie suggestions from me in the future. What's that one called? Safety uh, not guaranteed. Safety not guaranteed. Safety not guarantee. We'll tell you what. I'll watch Stir of Echoes, and oh, if, I still, if I still feel like being in contact with you after that, I might. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I suggested it. Now I fear that yeah. you'll never take suggestions seriously again. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All right, so that's what we've been watching. Let's get into the reason people listen to this episode, and that is the beginning of our 1995 retrospective. Our mini series begins now. Surprisingly, well, I shouldn't say surprisingly. We've actually, it's not really much of a mini series. We're going to be covering one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We're going to be covering ten films from 1995. Did I agree to go ten films in this? Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to be going, what is it, uh, February 11th today? We're going to be going like almost into May. April April 19th to 23rd is our, is our wow. retrospect, is our year in review episode. All right. We've got our work cut out for us. Yeah. So you're doing all these before you do the year in review. Yeah, we're going to be watching these movies, uh, and then we'll be doing the year in review. So, it, charts. Late April, we'll need a top ten list of the 1995. <laughs> I think I already gave it to you, didn't I? Because you've asked for like 97. No, I haven't. Okay, I'm, I might be working on it already. <laughs> uh, are you going to go on record and say that you promised to oh, get it? <laughs> Does this word holds no meaning to you anymore? <laughs> he. For, for the listeners, Charles has gotten in a couple of the retrospective years. I uh, have. He has gotten some of those lists. It's the current years that he has a problem with. Big problem. I've got 97 and 96 in the bag for you, and I think I am working on 95, so I should have it for you. Perfect. All right. 
So the film we'll be talking about this week is 12 Monkeys, which was selected by Michael Chardoodle. We sent out our we sent out a bat signal to our past and future guests. We said we're going to be have one open slot for the year of 1995. Whoever wants to suggest a movie to review and come on and help us review it. Only one person answered the call, and that was Michael Chardulo. More so, retribution, boys. More retribution. <laughs> so the film is 12 Monkeys. It, re- it was released on January 5th of 1996, but it had a limited release in December to be eligible for the 68th Academy Awards. Hence, it is a 1995 film. It was directed by Terry Gilliam, written by David and Janet Peoples. It is based off a Chris Marker screenplay for a movie called La Jetée. Uh, starring Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, and Brad Pitt, has a Metascore of 74. It went 0 for 2 at the Oscars. The two Oscar nominations it got were Best Supporting Actor for Brad Pitt and Best Costume Design. Had a budget of 29 million, and for some reason, the budget lists itself as 29 million and one dollar. I have no idea why, and I forgot to actually research why it was, but that is the budget: 29 million and one dollar. Uh, it goes 57. Somebody, somebody must have worked on it for $1. Somebody must have taken like a $1 salary or something. Uh, it actually could have been Bruce Willis because he actually didn't get paid for this movie. He took back-end points only. That's how they were able to keep the, the budget so low. That might have been it. We might have solved it, boys. Uh, it grows $57 million in the U.S. and 168 worldwide. The plot, in a future world devastated by disease, a convict is sent back in time to gather information about the man-made virus that wiped out most of the human population on the planet. Since Chards picked this movie, we're fully aware that he has seen it. Sam, had you seen this movie prior to us getting ready for this episode? Manny, I'm delighted to inform you that not only had I not seen 12 Monkeys, I went in as blind as humanly possible, which is always something that I strive to do, as I just kind of alluded to when we talked about Palm Springs and I've talked about before. I, I knew, I think, a while ago, that uh brad pitt and bruce willis were in this but even as i like pulled it up on amazon i was like oh yeah like brad pitt yeah okay sure i i know this movie but as i was watching it i knew zero all all of the all of the spoilery stuff i i had no idea um so uh (laughs) the subject matter of humanity dying out in a pandemic kind of hit a little bit close to home (laughs) i was i was, uh, was happy to see that but yeah, 12 Monkeys is one that I'm delighted to say I didn't go in with any expectations. And uh, at the very least, I can say that 12 Monkeys obviously surprised the shit out of me. It's uh, with uh, Terry Gilliam directing. I, uh, I I wouldn't call myself a Monty Python fan, but I'm definitely I've seen The Holy Grail and I like it. I've seen I don't know if you directed Life of Brian, but I've seen that one as well. Uh, so I was interested with the way this subject matter was going. I was like, okay, this guy I know from comedies mostly is doing this really weird sci-fi movie. Uh, how is this gonna, how's this gonna match up? And stylistically, this movie is like totally unique. That's one of the funnest things about it is that, uh, um, the cinematography is so weird at every turn. Uh, there's so many like Dutch angles and wide angle lens shots. And, uh, there's a lot of weird cinematography stuff going on. Certain aspects of the framing kind of look like a Wes Anderson movie. Like you'll go from having a Dutch angle where everything's crooked. And then the very next shot is just like this panel of scientists perfectly framed symmetrically. It's like really wacky and zany. It's really, really strange. Um, but, but really effective. I, I think if I'm to pick a highlight of the movie, just off the top of my head, Brad Pitt, uh, Brad Pitt in this movie, I, I'm someone who really likes 
uh, Brad Pitt a lot in my top 20 movies of all time. He's in two of them. He's both in Inglorious Bastards and Moneyball. Um, I think both of those are even in my top 10. So he, he's somebody that I really respect and he's in a lot of other uh, great roles. This is completely against type before he was even really typecast, I guess. Uh, this is a completely unique performance from him. He is quite literally insane. Uh, he's doing this thing with his eye. I don't know if it's prosthetic or if it's actually him doing it, but kudos to him to keeping it up either way. Um, but Brad Pitt uh, performance in this movie was obviously a standout. Um, some of the stuff that maybe I didn't like. Um, well, I, I should say, Manny, I've already told you that uh, I'm, I'm getting used to a new job and a new sleep schedule. So yet for the second time in two weeks, I did something that I hate doing which is watching a movie in two sittings because I found myself drifting off through no fault of the movie. I found myself uh, drifting off about halfway through. And as I was, uh, as I was rewatching it, I was like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to start to get a hold of some of these things that were a little bit more confusing. And it turned out that it wasn't all my fault. The mu the movie is just really that insane plot wise. It just really has a lot of weird stuff going on plot wise we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of that when we talk spoilers i imagine but i maybe i'll i'll get some clarification from one of you fine gentlemen but there's some stuff in this movie where after having watched it i was like wait so this guy was there because of why <laughs> and like why were they able to do this but not that like there's some like, i try not to dive too deep into the logic of time travel movies because it's it doesn't really matter uh, a lot of the time, the physics of it just shouldn't really matter. But even some of the some of the stuff narratively is just kind of weird here. So may maybe we'll get into that into spoilers. Overall, uh, went in blind, was surprised. It's a very unique movie, and uh, I look forward to talking about it more. Charge your spoiler-free thoughts on Twelve Monkeys. Love it. Well, actually, that was going to be my first question. Has Sam ever seen it before? And I'm so happy that you haven't. And I imagine that's probably a reoccurring theme on this uh, <laughs> podcast because I have heard there's been a lot of suggestions, yeah, from Manny in the past. And yep. Manny, had you ever even discussed this movie with him before as a recommendation or not so much? No, because you're not a big Terry Gilliam fan. <sighs> no. Yeah, I, yes, exactly. Okay, good. So I'm super glad we got to go over this movie. And just to echo some of those thoughts, a lot of similar uh, viewpoints for me. Brad Pitt, obviously awesome. Uh, one of his earlier films, um, and to me, totally different character-wise, but I really enjoyed him in something like California, where it's just not this like, you know, Hollywood beautiful blue eyes like stunning leading man type deal. And I thought this was similar to it. He's not trying to be like this leading attractive man that women are going to flock to. He literally plays somebody who's like psycho. Like he's just, he, he's, he's off his rails and it's great. And there's a lot of scenes where I, I don't want to say stole the scene because it does make sense. There's some scenes where Bruce Willis is completely out of it because he's been drugged. And so you need somebody to really take over with that high energy and he does it very well. So I really like that. And then, uh, yeah, stylistically as well, like you said, um, super interesting. Um, I think sometimes when you see futuristic films and this takes place in 2035, I believe it is, or 34, somewhere in that range, um, the director, even the art director, is set to that everybody tries to make it look quote unquote futuristic. Well, in this case, because humanity has, you know, been gone since 95, 96, somewhere in that range, everything that you see, even in the future that they're filming, is what you would imagine people would have to piece together mechanically to make these things work and how it would look. So you've got this dystopian future, but the way that it looks is with material that you would have to have saved up and, and use. So I just enjoyed stylistically uh, looking at it as well. And then 
lastly for me, I've probably mentioned this every time I've been on the show. I love time travel movies. Like every time I see one, I'm just, I'm just right into it. And maybe kind of like what you said, Sam, it's like, maybe sometimes you don't invest in it making sense. Um, and sometimes I don't, and sometimes I do. So I do appreciate a movie that tries to make it make sense, even if it's total horseshit, or if it doesn't make sense in the end, at least they're coming up with reasons or why they're doing it or whatever. So in this case, I really enjoy the, the time travel aspect, including the mistakes that they made, which then serves as plot points for later on, which is the payoff at the end for me is delicious. Uh, so yeah, we'll get into that when we get into the spoilers, but just the different years that he visits before finally going back at the end there is, is awesome for me. So yeah, I, I really enjoy this movie and I probably seen it 10 times before and right before doing this, literally after soul i watched it again just to talk about it today i mean i could have probably done it without hand but i just enjoy it so much so i watched it again today and i'm happy i did and super excited to talk about it not a fan of this movie oh i love it yes (laughs) i'm just not a terry gilliam fan i've watched three or four of his movies um brazil 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and The Fisher King. I haven't, you, haven't, you haven't seen The Holy Grail, right? Sorry, I've seen The Holy Grail. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, but I haven't seen Life of Brian or the other ones. Okay, I, I'm just seeing now that he actually, I, I think he only directed Holy Grail. I did go to his Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm looking the... at it. He, he only directed, he helped obviously write uh, Life of okay. Brian and the other ones because he was part of Monty Python. Uh I remember liking The Fisher King when I saw it, but that was in 91. And I'm just I'm just just not a fan of his directorial style. I I don't like all the Dutch angles. I didn't like the tango score that they used. I found I it works perfectly with the mood that they're trying to convey just found it annoying Mm. i don't hate this movie but if they had done this story with two changes somebody other than terry gilliam and somebody other than bruce willis i probably would have loved this movie Mm. i like this movie enough for what it is there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy the production design, just like you said, Charles, is off the charts good. Off the charts good. The costume design nomination that they got is well worth it. I Obviously, the costume design nomination is from the stuff in the future because the costume design in 1990 and 1996 are fairly easy to do. You just use contemporary clothing. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy to do. That's unfair to to denigrate what a costume designer does, you still actually have to choose the clothes that are right for the character and all that. But the futuristic stuff is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, and exactly what you said. They have to use stuff that came from the 90s because they went underground, so new technology, new things couldn't have really been invented easily without using stuff they already had. All that being said, the really the main reason to watch this movie is Brad Pitt. It is a absolute revelation of a performance at that time. Nowadays you can you can look back like Sam did watching Brad Pitt do this you're like, "Well, yeah, of course it's Brad Pitt. He's 
he's one of the greatest he's one of the great actors we have back then we didn't really understand what Brad Pitt was because he was such a heartthrob coming into this movie he had done a very small part in a movie that I'm super excited for Sam to watch because he hasn't seen it and that's his role as Floyd in True Romance oh yeah I thought you were going to say Thelma and Louise no Thelma and Louise <laughs> that's, that's where I thought you were going too yeah, <laughs> well, Thelma, Thelma and Louise is where that's where he exploded onto onto the big screen. That's ninety one, right? True Romance so, is ninety one, yeah. Uh, and Sam, you haven't seen True Romance? Oh no, my sir. god! I know oh, that's, he's gonna love it. Oh I my know. god! I've already I've already earmarked it for the ninety three retrospective oh, so as good. one of the movies that we will be reviewing. Oh, that's great! It, it's that good. As excited you are for me to watch Toy Story, I am ten times more excited for you to watch. Do you know True how Romance? hard? How hard it has been for me not to just make us review that for one of oh. our, one of our episodes. Like, it's it's gonna bl- it. it oh, anyways, okay. Yeah, Gary Oldman. I mean, and Brad Pitt. Enough said, right there. Yeah. I won't lie. I'll say this right now. I and I'm sure I've said this to you, Charles. I honestly think that Gary Oldman's performance in True Romance is his best performance he's ever done. I love it. And I think I recently, because we had talked about that, I read somewhere I watched maybe on YouTube. You know how they have these things now where it's like people's best characters of all time? Yes. I think Gary Olden has one. And <laughs> he said something along the lines of the director invited him in and explained what the character is going to be. Oh, well, it's a, a white drug dealer who thinks he's black and he's like a murderer. And then he's just, Gary Oldman apparently just looked at him. Yeah, I'm in. Like he didn't even read the script. He's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking good. What, well, was, yeah. what was the movie we watched, Manny? Uh, the the action movie with Gary uh, Gary Oldman as the villain. Professional. Uh, yeah, Leo. Oh, Leo, Leo oh, professional. so good. That's Sam a did, movie Sam didn't that like I, that very much. Yeah, if you, if you recall, I wasn't wasn't huge on the movie, but my favorite part easily Gary Oldman in that movie was fucking hysterical. Oh, so good, and you didn't like the movie? That's crazy, because Manny, yeah. you must love that movie, right? I do fucking love that movie. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they take every opportunity to sexualize a twelve year old Natalie Portman. Yeah, like, I know. Well, so apparently, man. Apparently, the aftermath of that sucked for her too. Like in real life, apparently, like a lot of people sending like just weird like fan mail that turned into like I can't wait till you turn eighteen, like that kind uh, of shit. So, yeah, so the cringe yeah. factor for sure. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, the- the movie had its fun moments, but the yuck factor was just yeah, fair just enough. Over, yeah. Overruled everything else. Yeah, and we watched it as younger audience at that time, so yeah, it's true. yeah, fair enough. Okay, sorry, Manny. Oh, that's okay. Uh, so Brad Pitt's performance in this movie is was a revelation because coming into this movie, he had done True Romances, Floyd. He had done the two heartthrob movies that everybody wanted to do, and that's Interview with the Vampire and Legends of the Fall. And then he does seven, and then he has this. And this is where he takes a big step into realizing or, or showing the world that he's more than just a pretty face. And from here on out, he starts doing – starts trying some other things, kind of like almost a one for them, one for us kind of thing. I'll do the movie to make me the money, and then I can find something that I like as well. But this is one of his – he got an Oscar nomination – well worthy of it he was in tough to win <laughs> that year uh yeah it's kevin spacey for usual suspects oh wow right yeah right <laughs> yeah which i have seen and love yeah. you, you know what much like you've been saying um what the true romance you've been waiting to make me watch and have been holding off for the oscars mm-hmm. 
when Jordan Jordan and I have lived together for probably about close to two years now, and we have like this stack of movies that were like as a watch list for us. I have been resisting Usual Suspects with her for so long, and she hasn't seen it. She hasn't seen it, and she hasn't had. She doesn't know anything about it. Oh. And I'm, that's, that's all I'm gonna say. But she doesn't know anything about the movie, so I am so excited for her to see that. Ah, oh, so good. Yeah, that first viewing of that film is great. Yeah, yeah. We're re- when are we reviewing that? That's uh, three weeks away. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Who else, Maddie? Do you know who else was nominated that year for best supporting? Yeah, Ed Harris for Apollo 13. Oh, great movie. Uh, James Cromwell for Babe, and then uh, Tim Roth for Rob Roy. Hmm. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. That's like uh, we we can get into it. I obviously like I obviously love Kevin Spacey's win for the Usual Suspects. I think my heart would I'd want to give it to Ed Harris for Apollo Thirteen. Mm-hmm. I freaking love that movie. Me too. Good film. Yeah. All right, so let's get into spoilers for Twelve Monkeys. Uh, so Charles can gush over it, and I can shit all over it as much as I want. Uh, oh, so good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so spoilers for Twelve Monkeys in three, two, one. Uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, I think I- whenever Manny, whenever you have your friends on the podcast, I always feel like I'm like stuck in the middle. But like I'm always, I I never have the extreme opinions. Like I don't want to shit on movies that your your friends like, and I also don't really <laughs> praise them. But like I usually just wind wind up putting myself in the middle of just like this huge <laughs> exchange between you. <laughs> and it's, I, I think yet again the same thing today. <laughs> I'm no, not, no, I'm not, not you. I'm not going to shit on this movie very much. Like, I, my honestly, my only problems. I just don't like Terry Gilliam's directing style. I don't like. I don't really in, enjoy his cinematography choices. I'm not a fan of the of the camera tilting as much as it does. It does help with the mood and the and and the atmosphere of this movie. It works perfectly for this movie, and so I applaud the choices for it because it 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 adds to this movie and helps accentuate everything that's going on but it's just not for me. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think Bruce Willis is actually, I sh- I was going to say borderline bad. He's bad until near the end. Basically, mm-hmm. basically when he comes back after Madeline Stowe has realized that he's telling the truth, then he yeah. actually gives a couple, he has a couple moments where he's actually pretty good. But everything leading up to that, him, I get his choices, like him when he's drooling and all that. It's it just it doesn't work for me, and I understand that he's a convict, and I understand that he's coming through time, so he's probably disoriented. And when they kind of get it in his head that maybe the future is a hallucination, so he's not sure what's real and all that. His his performance just doesn't lend itself to me. I just don't. I just. It's not that I don't buy it because he's not bad. Where I'm like, uh, I just a better actor in that in that role would elevate this movie tenfold. That's my opinion. Yeah, I I I didn't really have any strong opinion about Bruce Willis throughout. Uh, he. Was for or he was uh, overshadowed. I almost said foreshadowed. Jesus, it's late. <laughs> I uh, he was he was overshadowed a lot. That's the, the the kindest way I can put it. Every scene he was in with Brad Pitt, your your eye is just drawn to to Pitt instead, 
And that perfectly makes sense because he's given these long rambling monologues to perform a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I, I think Bruce Willis did not stand out as incredibly bad or incredibly good to me. He just was, you know, his character didn't, for, for the lead of a movie, it feels weird to say he didn't have a lot to do, but his character is pretty quiet a lot of the time. He doesn't, he's not really a talker a lot of the time. Yeah, I'm super happy to finally be on an episode where, yeah, we disagree a little bit on a movie because the last two times I've come on here, it's just been things that I can really enjoyed. And I think we did Inception and obviously we're all big fans of that film. So yeah, this five is stars nice across the board for that one. Yeah, so this is great to have some differences of opinion. Um, it's funny because the first maybe half a dozen times I watched this, I never even thought about like performance wise. I just knew that I enjoyed the movie. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that's where it was going. And then I think now maybe if it was the first time I've ever watched it, I might be a little harsher on my judgment. Uh, definitely not a Brad Pitt. I thought nope. he killed it. And Madeline Stowe, I think is excellent. Yep. Perhaps Bruce Willis. I might maybe look at it a little more um, judgmental. I think because I've seen it so many times now, I already know what to expect. So I already know what I'm getting with the drooling at the beginning and the sort of spaced outness, which I think is the way it had to go. He's drugged up for a lot of the first portion of this movie when he goes through the time travel and it, it kind of has to be that way because these these doctors are happening. So it's never bothered me. Uh, we also get two scenes uh, with a naked Bruce Willis within the first 15 minutes of the film. So that's just like a bonus, right? Uh, and then and then not to be outdone, Brad Pitt, we do get a butt scene about 25 minutes in. So, I mean, they really gave us some blockbuster uh, I, I do actually i have a note uh, towards the bottom of my list that just says needs more man ass <laughs> <laughs> like was it in the contract that he's like fine i'll do it but i have to be naked twice like and it's in such quick succession and it's literally the same thing we're gonna wash you down for disease and so we do it once and then when we go through time we do it again just so we can show that twice <laughs> if you if uh, i do have a note on the brad pitt mooning uh that was unscripted mm -hmm. really yeah that was done in the moment so he saw bruce willis's scenes and thought no not today sir yeah like, fuck you my ass is like my ass is gonna be on the mark <laughs> <laughs> I'm top billing over here yeah 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 that's funny <laughs> i have to imagine i have to imagine a lot of that those sort of ticks were improvised uh like the moment uh where he says uh he says something like he's gonna get tested and then he grabs he grabs his crotch and cough <laughs> i have to imagine that was a similar sort of decision right i would agree i would agree with that yeah probably yeah. probably a ton of his stuff yeah like you said with the eye i don't know if he had like purposely kind of squinted it or if they had put some makeup on him and made it heavier but that and when he gives that speech and then walks out of the room saying fuck the bozos and the way he does the middle finger and like just yeah every you could tell that those were some decisions he was making for that role. Mm. And I thought he knocked it out of the park. Like every decision he made made sense to me for those weird ticks and the, the way that he was speaking to people. And I guess we'll probably get into it as we get into scenes here. But that one when his father's giving the, the dinner speech and Bruce uh shows up and he brings him into that room. And I just I love that scene. I don't know why I love it so much, but he's just so funny about it. Torture this man or whatever it is you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. He looks at him and just instantly, I've never seen this man before in my life. <laughs> Torture him or whatever you do. And then when he realizes he, who he is and he makes up that fake name, like Dr. Pennybottom or something. I yeah. was like, it's uh, so the, great. Uh, Archie or Arnie, something like that? 
or yeah, you should have called Ar- Arnold Pet- uh, Pet- Pettibottom, something like that. Pettibottom. Pettibone. Pettibone. It was a Pettibone. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah, he was just great in it. Yeah, Brad Pitt is the highlight of the movie and the highlight of every scene he's in. He just knows. He knows how to make the camera love him, and he knows his. I, I don't want to call it an over-the-top performance because it, it plays exactly what the character asks. Like it's, ex- but Brad, it's not an over-the-top, but Brad Pitt goes for it, and he nails it. He is fucking hilarious in it, and he, yeah, his that eye thing he does the everything his use of his hands, the over the over accentuation with his hands as he's talking. All fantastic choices, and uh, I can't heap enough praise on Brad Pitt in this movie. A, a stylistic choice from Terry Gilliam that I liked that I'm sure Manny didn't if he just doesn't really like this uh, this sort of style. Brad Pitt is giving a, a monologue about consumerism when we first meet him, and there's a, there's a TV playing cartoons in the background where there's all these, like, cartoonish sound effects happening and i i really liked it it kind of made me chuckle that there was like this this mental patient uh giving a an unhinged rant and there's just like these weird cartoon like i don't know these weird cartoon sound effects happening in the background it it, it's something about it tickled me yeah tickled you Uh, yeah i find it funny too because you could refer to that area as like the looney bin is when you said those Mm -hmm. guys and and they're watching looney tunes which is kind of funny i also thought with the the choice there it reminded me a little bit not a lot but just a little bit say of like um jack in uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest because you get Mm. this real like run down old school mental institution and i imagine most would look like that because you're not putting a lot of money and effort into what would be considered to be like the throwaways of society and so you put them in this just weird location and they're all there together Together. and then just to touch on that too like you said when he's rambling at the beginning there and he's explaining he gives him the tour of the place and he's showing them the games he keeps going on about games and games and games and then he walks up to the games that are locked behind the cabinet and he goes these are games that are waiting to get out and he shakes the cabinet i was like that's just so funny the whole scene with him in it in the beginning is hilarious so yeah i uh, yeah i like that part yeah i'm a big fan of uh cole and jeff's initial meeting at the asylum it's 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 Brad Pitt at his best. His quick delivery of the lines, his just, uh, I can't, every word I try to use to describe what I think he's doing, it sounds like a pejorative, like I'm I'm demeaning his performance when it's the exact opposite. It, it's just one, it's just one of those performances where he goes, again, it's the only, he goes over the top, but it works. He really takes it as far as you can possibly take it Without without it going into as Sam as I like to say into the river of ham, he's not <laughs> hamming it up. He's playing the this character. He's he, he's not dipping his toe in the river of ham. He's not going for a swim a swim in it. He's he's going right to the precipice where if he went just a little bit further, it would be it would be like a comical performance. And that's not the case here. This is a really great performance that really suits the character. And not once do you ever think that he is doing something that's out of character. The the facial tics, the eye, the body movements, he's absolutely superb. I Like I said, I've already said it in this episode before, I really just can't heap enough praise on Pitt in his performance. And this, this first meeting where he's giving the tour is – might be my favorite part of the movie. 
pretty close. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, okay, so what else I liked about it, and maybe we can get into this too. Uh, you already said certain reasons why you didn't like it. I thought a lot of this time too when you have Brad Pitt on there as Goins, and he's, like you say, going right to that precipice, not going overboard, but really – I think part of it too is during those times we're seeing glimpses of foreshadowing what is going to happen later on in this film. And it's nice to have that as a distraction because on first viewing, I know for sure the first time I watched this, I didn't piece it all together. In fact, probably until third or fourth viewing for me, it was when I really started to piece the character. Sometimes there's the doctors from the future that are in scenes and they're kind of background and other times where they're in scenes and they, they're let it be known. They look right at the camera or Something, for example, like monkeys, and he does the whole thing about the, the the show's called Monkey Business, and then monkey in his hand, and then eventually he's the army of the 12 monkeys. So I think maybe some of that performance is great as a distraction as well, so that upon first viewing, you don't get all those little things right away. You're distracted by how awesome he is and how, what is this character doing? Like, why am I so drawn to this? Well, yeah, you're, you're missing all of the other things that are going to happen later on. So... I don't know if you didn't like that part of the movie or you thought maybe it was you prefer to have that more in the forefront or you don't know that that's that has nothing to do that that aspect of it has nothing to do with again like when I say I, I I'm not a fan of this movie it's not a hatred like I I'll be I won't completely play my hand but it's pretty obvious this isn't a failing grade movie for me like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I own this movie, so I've I've probably watched this. You said you probably watched about you said like eight or nine times, maybe ten times. I gotta be well. Probably today was probably eleven or twelve. So yeah, I'm I'm, up there. I'm not far behind. I'm probably about seven or eight times I've watched this movie. Probably even more. Interesting. It's it's just not a movie that. It's I'll be honest. This this is just not a movie I would ever recommend people to watch. But it's crazy. You've watched it like eight times. Yeah. That's funny to me. <laughs> like, I don't hate this movie. There's a lot to enjoy. Brad Pitt's performance is the main reason I will come back and watch this movie. I, yeah, I, yeah, I want to yeah. watch an absolutely amazing performance where, especially for people our age that knew what he was doing prior to this. Like, yeah. He's fine in Legends of the Fall. He's fine in Interview with a Vampire. Seven comes out, and I was like, okay, sure. I'm like, wow. I'm like, he's just playing a normal guy and definitely downplaying his whole pretty boy image. And then this comes out, and you're like, what yeah. the serious fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, it's a, but now, like, again, and I'm, I'm basically just repeating myself. Someone like Sam, who has already has this history with Brad Pitt, to see him in this movie won't diminish Sam's enjoyment or praise for the performance. But for people like us coming into it, thinking Brad Pitt's just another pretty boy, you know, is it possible we're just seeing another fucking Chris O'Donnell here? Mm -hmm. And then you, and <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. And then, but then you get this. Take that Chris. <laughs> and like, like, honestly, can you ever think of a good Chris O'Donnell performance? Oh, long-time listener of the show. He's going to quit now. There goes one more viewer. <laughs> yeah. But Brad, like... Yeah, no, like, terrible. Like, like, Brad, yeah, understatement. Brad Pitt is really good. So, like, I I don't hate this movie. I just don't yeah. love it. 
just don't love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And your time travel aspect of it, you're you're a fan of it. You thought it was good plot. Yeah. Devices or yeah. Okay. The, the, yeah. the story, the plot, and everything. I just I don't like Terry Gilliam's. I don't like Terry Gilliam's directing style. I don't. Yeah. I the the Dutch and angles, yeah, the disjoint angles, his, the choice of that score, that tango score. It just doesn't sit with me. It, it, it's working because it's making me feel uncomfortable. And that's what I'm supposed to feel in this movie because there's the pandemic, there's the whole confusion. It's just his he, – he, he basically does the same thing in The Fisher King. And the only – much like The Fisher King, the only reason I like The Fisher King is Robin Williams' performance. Robin Williams. Where he's basically yeah. almost playing the same kind of thing. Basically, he's playing the same character Brad Pitt's playing. Yeah. And so Je- – Who's the other one in that? Jeff, Jeff Bridges? Bridges? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think, I think the female is the same girl in Goodfellas, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? I no. Who? Karen? Yeah, or Karen? It, the oh well, wow. Or could it be? Uh, fuck, what's her name? Mercedes Rule. It's been a while since I mean I think I've only seen that once or twice. Uh, I was no, I was wrong. It's Mercedes Rule. I always get Mercedes Rule and the chick that plays Karen mixed up. Anyways, yeah, I'm just I'm just not a fan of Terry Gilliam's directing style. So this movie yes. just kind of like just kind of makes me uh, makes me. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think Manny, you and I have uh, talked maybe briefly in the uh, in the three years we've been doing this podcast. We've maybe briefly talked about a couple Terry Gilliam movies. I know that I've maybe in passing brought up fear and loathing in las vegas and now i i actually don't mind that movie and you just are <laughs> hates it <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i probably haven't seen fear and Lo- like i watched it for the first time i've mentioned a few times on the show i had a friend who i watched like r-rated movies with when i was like early teens maybe even pre-teen uh so he used to always love showing me like movies that his parents thought that thought he could watch and i never my parents were always strict about that stuff so I watched Fear and Loathing probably for the first time when I was like 11 or 12 and probably watched it again when I was like 15, 16 and maybe haven't seen it since. So it probably doesn't hold up as well as I remember. I just, all I really remember is uh, the great performance by one of the great talents of our generation, Tobey Maguire in that movie. So, oh my uh, God, I'm hang- that's it. This, well, it's a pleasure <laughs> being on the show again. Thanks for having me. I, uh, <laughs> I, I fear and loathe you from now on. <laughs> No, but for real, like the the Terry oh. Gilliam Terry Gilliam style is on full display in that movie as well, and it's no surprise to me that you you don't like uh, don't like either of or no, not a fan of that style if you don't like that. Yeah. Also, I I wanted to just briefly point out uh, for a good portion of that conversation, I was trying to figure out who the hell Chris O'Donnell was. You guys dated? <laughs> You're not missing much. <laughs> yeah. Is it maybe School yeah, Ties? Tell. I can probably barely even name. I think School Ties was one movie. <laughs> My, my experience um, with O'Donnell, from what I can gather, is Batman and Robin, and that's it. Oh, yeah. Oh, brutal. And probably one of the worst ones. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, um, the, the worst one, but it, it's one of those, in my opinion, and Manny will disagree. It's one of those ones, in my opinion, that's so bad that it actually transcends the rating system and becomes good again. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's so bad that it's good, in my opinion. It's almost though that you would have to transform yourself into that time go get some fast food sit down watch it with the batman cup like you'd really have to get deep into that like come on tell me tell me that you don't actually laugh when like 
that's the one with like the bat credit card and like all the montage <sighs> like them getting into the like leather suits and stuff like, like and oh that's the one i think with uh arnie is uh mr freeze yep so oh. bad just the so worst bad. dialogue on the face of the earth and i love manny's it. face right now that should be the cover of the podcast your face right now just, just it's just, because <laughs> it's because i have to watch it <laughs> right yeah it, 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 it came out this year so i'm, I'm i have to so rewatch it up. yeah it's not it's not oh, an episode God. we're doing but it's on batman my... forever it's not much better but batman forever came out this year not batman and robin oh thank god oh yeah. okay oh forever's yeah. a bit better yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. jim carrey is the riddler no yeah. Oh, I thought that. Oh no, I had it in my head. It was uh, Danny DeVito as the Penguin. No, that's Batman. Oh, that's Returns. That's Batman yeah. Returns. Yeah, that's, that that's good. a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. One and two are pretty decent. Yeah, Michael Keaton. Um, I'm actually I like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I also hadn't seen it in a while, and I just rewatched it. And again, like Manny says, it's that style really lends well to that film. So, of course, yeah. If you don't like that style, and then obviously you're not going to intern like that film, but uh, Johnny Depp's performance in that is amazing. And mm-hmm. same with um, uh, what's his pickle, um, Del Toro. What's Benicio, that, Benicio Del Toro? There you go, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, that whole thing is great. I don't know. It's it's to me that's equally shocking as it is funny as it is confusing and concerning to think that some people did like that's how he used to live like it's crazy it's, it's, it's a, i think it's a great movie last thing on fear and loathing because i promise manny we'll, we'll move on from it but the the line <laughs> delivery from johnny depp when he said we turns around and says we can't stop here this is bat country Just- <laughs> <laughs> My, like I, I still quote that with with uh, that one friend I was, I was talking about earlier. I still quote that. Dude. We can't stop here. This is back country. <laughs> is oh. that and is that to be balding, like stringy, three haired Toby Maguire? Isn't that when yeah. he's in the car in the back seat? Yeah. Oh God. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Manny. That's that's it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your loading discussion. You made it. It's all good. Yeah. Oh. We went to some bad fucking movies there. We talked Fear and Loathing. We talked Batman and Robin. Not good. Oh boy. So back to this delightful film. <laughs> uh, I already want to hear your score. I think I already know what your 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 rating's gonna be. Oh yeah, my score's. It, I already know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, now, uh, okay. So after the asylum, I guess for me the next part I like. Uh, I guess when Cole comes back to 1996. Uh, that's right. And then uh, I'm, try- I'm just trying to remember. See, yeah, it's when he kidnapped. This is the stop off. Sorry, that was. This is the stop off on his way when they. The last line the the doctors say is like, "Oh, don't worry. Like this time we got you spot on because they had fucked up earlier mm-hmm. trying to send him to 1996. He ends up in 1990. That's where he ends up in the asylum, and that's where he meets Brad Pitt. So we get introduced to that character. But now the second time they're going to send him through is don't worry, like right on the money, right on 1996, late, like third quarter 1996, and then they put him through that time thing, and sure enough, not 1996. In World War I in a German trench? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Like, to me, I think this is probably when the movie, for me, starts to really get interesting. Like, at the beginning, I like it. It's enjoyable, stylistically, him by himself, um, searching uh, with all the animals around, the bear and the lion, and he's gathering those... uh, 
species to give to the scientists. That's all like setup shit. And then even in 1990, when he first arrives, like it's good. But like you said, Brad Pitt really makes that part awesome. But for me, when it starts to get good is they actually show how they put him through the time travel. And I think that to me, again, is interesting how they had to repurpose things that they would have had at that time. So it's this weird like plastic tube with weird wires and, and weird electrodes on him to, I guess, somehow electrocute him through time. I don't know. But when the scientists say they get you right on that, that right on the money, uh, late 96 and they they push him through that hole and you kind of see what time travel looks like which is terrible it's just like you know a camera panning by real fast do you want to know but how they got he... that shot uh, oh I, god I... you're spinning it in a circle no they're all that um all the future stuff what? was filmed in this type of warehouse or something in in philadelphia that they found and the uh, Terry Gilliam was just walking around and he walked past this staircase and the light caught it a certain way. And he's like, he's like, Oh, that looks cool. So he came over with a camera, not a, not a film camera, just a camera and did some things. And he's like, he's like, Oh, he's like, look, he's like, this is my idea. He's like, I think this would really work for all the time travel. So that shot is what he shot with that piece of shit camera cost $5. Five dollars. No way. That's how that. Oh, I was gonna say. Too bad it wasn't one dollar. That could have been your. Yeah, that was one dollar. No, he cl- he cl- he he claimed that that's uh, that 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 shot cost about five bucks to get, and he that's like, he, he loved it. He's he's like, I think this is visually exactly what I'm looking for, and so that's what they use in the film. And I, I'm sorry, so I didn't I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's all good. I like that little antidote. That's that's the. Uh... It's funny that that's what he's so proud of is like the easiest, cheapest shot is just, and how else would you do it? Like, I mean, I always feel like they made a great choice in Back to the Future by not showing the time travel. You just instantly arrive. So I think it's neat when they do that. And in this, they just show that brief period of him. And then, yeah, he shows up in those trenches. And I love that because that plays into the plot line later on where he gets shot in the ass with that bullet, which inevitably gets pulled out later. And then once they identify that that bullet was from that wartime, there's some explaining to do. And that leads Madeline Stowe's character into starting to now believe him. How else would this be? You know, how can this be a fallacy when this guy has a World War One bullet lodged in him? So she was the one I that, love that scene. she was the one that pulled it out. That's right. So you get him shot in the trenches and simultaneously at that time, it also makes sense with the scientists in the future trying to fix their mistakes because you see that character that's the next to him in the cell at the beginning, who's now traveled through time as well to try to get him. And not only do we see him there, but then later on that plays into when she's giving that, um, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, that lecture, and she's using those slideshows and that picture of his cellmate's like character shows up and he says, here's an interesting case. This man was in the middle of a war. And then when he gets put into the hospital, he didn't have any uh, effects from the mustard gas, but he's uh, fluently spoke English now instead of French. So how did this happen? Of course, there's no explanation, but we know it's because he was sent back from the future. So, and then that particular picture that she uses, of course, is zoomed in on him. But as we find out later, once that zoomed out, we get our another reveal later in the film when we've got now Bruce Willis's character in the background. So that comes to fruition. So I start to enjoy the movie at that time because I know all the payoffs afterwards. And I think they're all awesome payoffs that the first time you watch it, you wouldn't know. But in future viewings, you're like, oh shit, that makes sense. That's why that happens. So he gets put back into World War One, and then boom, into actual 1996 where he sees her again, has the bullet. And then she goes, oh yeah, 
you escaped from the insane asylum in 1990. And he alludes to the fact, like, she says something like that was six years ago. And he goes, yeah, for you. I was like a day ago for him. So I, I really enjoy that kind of part. Yeah, it's the pieces coming together. For sure, yeah. And and in any time travel movie, I like it to start that early so that I get those payoffs at the end. If you only get one payoff at the end, sometimes it's like, ah, okay, whatever, that's okay. But here, they start to lay the pieces for all the future payoffs. Sam, what were your thoughts about at this point in the film, what were you thinking? Were you seeing where this was going? Uh, well, I, I think I started to kind of piece things together. Um, there, there were aspects of the movie that were, uh, that I, that I saw coming and some that I didn't. Um, I really at the point, uh, especially during the trenches, I, I just kept thinking like, man, they need to send this guy to the right fucking timeline. Like how have these people gotten anything done? <laughs> How are how are they supposed to do research when they can't calibrate their time machines properly? And I know that's bordering on like criticizing the physics rather than the movie, which can kind of be a lazy criticism. But it really does feel like they've obviously invested a lot into this program, and they just are they are nowhere close. They send this guy back. What is that like? Seventy years too far? Like that is not that is not a small error. And they send him into a German trench somehow. I don't understand the physics of this. I need somebody to explain to me how this time travel works because that that just seemed uh, illogical to me. So there there were some aspects like that that really left me scratching my head. But um, yeah, the whole the whole thing with uh, her pulling a bullet out of his leg and it's actually from like 1917 or 1918 or whatever that was um, and her uh, coming to believe it that that's all well and good. Um, I don't know if we've really touched on this yet. And I, I meant to actually say something about this in non-spoiler, um, but their romance is an, another sort of problematic aspect of the movie for me. Um, a little, little underdeveloped, in my opinion, we go awfully quick from um, him holding her captive and putting her in the trunk of his car to uh, to kissing in the airport. Like that's, or even even before that, they're they're somewhat close. They never really have a big romantic scene. I think they share one kiss in the airport, and that's it. But holy moly, um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever put a girl in the trunk of a car against her will. <laughs> Um, but I, I, <laughs> and how did that turn out for us <laughs> i would i would suspect that <laughs> it's not the biggest turn on in the entire world yeah. this episode will probably be coming out a little bit after valentine's day so sorry we couldn't get that message <laughs> out to uh the listeners soon in, in time for the big day but uh yeah that uh, the the romance aspect of it and aspects of the time travel were kind kind of the the parts that irked me at times but yeah i mean the going back to the trenches was cool and uh yeah i mean at this point in the movie i'm uh i'm at least having a good time even if i'm just sort of like what the hell am i watching <laughs> yeah i the biggest point of contention for me was definitely that sort of romantic development between the two that's what i have the biggest problem with it did lead to a great line too, though, where the police officer is interviewing her and he goes, oh, can you explain to me why is it every time that we uh, finally save somebody who's been kidnapped, they always tell us how awesome it is or how awesome this guy actually is. 
And she just gives the straight faced answer because she is a psychiatrist. So she just says, oh yeah, well, it's a classic case of like uh, a Stockholm syndrome type deal. And I was like, oh, that's super funny. It's well done, but you're right. That is definitely not enough of a line. That's like a throwaway line. That's not enough to explain yeah how they get together she also says something along the fact of in like these traumatic times which of course we have seen the traumatic times they've gone through they get attacked uh and he saves her life so you can kind of buy into it 10 percent out of 100 but yeah definitely not developed enough and to be honest probably too hard to develop with the time travel back and forth and the fact that he is a patient that's a real hard turn to make i don't I'm assuming there could have been a way they'd done it, but how much more time they, do they want to spend on developing a romance between these two as opposed to getting on with the business at hand, which is his actual job there, which is to save humanity. Not, well, sorry, not necessarily save humanity, but figure out how that virus started so humanity in the future can get back to the, the top of the planet. But yeah, that, uh, that romance underdeveloped for sure. Uh -huh. Well, I think it's also here right before he disappears because... Uh, it's here where he goes to the Goins house. <clears throat> Sorry, goes to the Goins house. And I think it's in this scene where Brad reveals to Cole that it was Cole's idea to kill everybody in the world. Yeah, and, so good. And Cole realizes, like, he's responsible for five billion deaths. Heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And then comes back out to the car super upset when he takes her out of the trunk. <laughs> and then says something, another good line. Ah, oh, yeah, well, where were you? I was at this party. Wait, you were at a party? <laughs> and she's all upset that not only am I locked in the trunk, but now you've gone to this lavish party. <laughs> Manny, I'm, uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, uh, this spiral staircase fight scene. Because uh, <laughs> this is one that just is very over stylized uh, for uh, from a certain point of view. Uh, I think it's a great looking fight scene. I think uh, the fact that Brad Pitt's monologuing over this while his security guards are getting in a fist fight with Bruce Willis. I think, I think that's a great little moment. And I love the like over the top uh, tracking shot down the spiral staircase at first. I think there's a lot of fun camera things that are going on here. And for me, it was one of the highlights of the movie. I'm curious what you thought. Well, I've in my research, Gilliam, purposely picked this house for the scene for that spiral staircase it's the mm -hmm. only reason that they did it there is that he was in love with the spiral staircase and wanted to do something with it he i think he described it as uh the spiral staircase re reminded him of strands of dna which plays into the aspect of this oh, film mm -hmm. nice. uh, it's the craftsmanship to do it i will i will tip my cap to did it have an effect on me? No. No. <laughs> hating on hating on Terry, eh? <laughs> I just I just don't like it. He's just, yeah, he's just yeah, not fair. my cup of tea. He's just not my cup yeah. of tea. Fair enough. There's there's nothing wrong with saying that either. There's nothing wrong with just saying, eh, it's just not for me. It's yeah, yeah. we spend a lot of time justifying ourselves on this podcast. There's nothing wrong with just going, I don't like it. <laughs> well, I I don't I can't, I can't with this film in particular. Well, with this is probably my favorite Gilliam movie. Hmm. Be this uh, Not Brothers Grimm? No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Can I can I say something about the Brothers Grimm? Actually, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I have not watched the movie since I was. It came out in 2005. I was actually looking at this yesterday because I wanted to bring this up. 
came out in 2005. I remember watching it New Year's Eve going into 2006 with my older brother. And I remember just thinking like, wow, this movie's not very good. Like it's like, I remember being even young and just like not really liking it. There is a moment in that movie where a little kid gets mud on his fight on his face, gets his face just absolutely covered in mud, goes to wipe it off from the top down like this and wipes off his own face. And this is like a kid's like it's it's Brothers Grimm. So it's like fairy tales and stuff like that. This kid wipes off his own face and there's just no face left underneath. I remember being fucking scarred by that. when I, was, <laughs> I, I would have been like, well, if that came out in 2005, I would have been like just turning nine when that movie came out. And I remember just being scared shitless by that. And I went I went to watch it on YouTube yesterday to see if it still is terrifying. And it is. And the entire context <laughs> is like... Why is this scene in this movie this traumatized me as a kid and stuff like that? So I have I have Terry Gilliam to thank for uh, a, a horrifying moment in my childhood too. <laughs> Mortifying. Wow, I, that's funny, Sam, because I have a very similar story. You said you were nine. Yeah, roughly, roughly. So I actually had the same type of experience, close to your age. I probably would have been about eight years old when I saw this. Pretty sure. Well, I'm. I'm sure both of you know this movie. I don't know if you both. I don't know if Sam's seen it. I harbor a guess that Mike's seen it. There's a scene similar to somebody wiping off their face in the 1982 horror film Poltergeist. Oh, oh I, yeah. I haven't seen Poltergeist. Where the guy picks off his own face in the mirror, mm. and it drips into the so sink. Gross. It fucking scarred me. I was scared to touch my face for years. <laughs> if I had like a zit or something, I'd be like, I ain't picking it. I ain't picking it. Face is going to fall off. My not today. Not today, face. Off. Yeah. Not, t- not today, face. Not fucking today. <laughs> You're staying on. That zit is going to, to, yeah. be with, to school with me today. I, don't, I wish I had a, a movie scarring me when I was younger story, but I can't remember. Mm. I'll save it for next time I'm on the podcast. I'll write it down. <laughs> yeah, let us, let us know what otherwise benign movies just scared the shit out of you. <laughs> totally. It's probably something so stupid. I don't think it would be as scary as those. I don't think I watched a lot of scary movies when I was younger. We watched one um, at your birthday party. Uh, me, yeah, me, you, and Marty. We, you, uh, God. it, we watched uh, Return of the Living Dead. Really, yeah, that probably would have been too. God, that's that's not good for me to be watching. <laughs> I blocked it out of my memory. I might be that scared that I've, I haven't thought about it since. Yeah, was I, this my birthday or Mark or yours? No, or it was like, yours, yours because we watched course. it at yeah. your house. No way, yeah. That's hilarious. I don't even remember. Uh, maybe I was that scarred. <laughs> would have been, would have been uh, roughly probably 1987, 1988, around there. Crazy. I'm surprised that we weren't watching maybe like a WrestleMania video or something like that. That would have been, right? Fucking, yeah, why were we, you dick? That would have been right up your alley. And that, and leading into this, I, on my YouTube suggestions, I don't know, whatever you search for, whatever, however the algorithms work, whatever dumb thing I was looking at, men in tights. Um, uh, the ad came up for, the suggestion came up for uh, 1992 Royal Rumble with Ric Flair. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I got an hour and 14 to spare. I watched the whole goddamn thing. 
I I don't think I've laughed out loud so much in ages. Ric Flair is hilarious in that. And I know former big wrestling fan, I don't know if you watch any now, but no. if you ever want some nostalgia, that one is hilarious. So good. British Bulldog, Hulk Hogan, all the classics. Oh, Ric Flair. I miss you, you know, are we talking about oh, monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> that's classic on this podcast eh? <laughs> oh, we, we're tangents on tangents on tangents we spend more yeah, time yeah. On than we do on the actual topic I think there's three tangents deep we're now into the inception mode of this uh, podcast yeah. we're <laughs> three tangents <laughs> in <laughs> let me yeah yeah <laughs> you get ripped up with uh, I'll get us back on track here as we're closing in on the end it, with Cole goes back to the back to the future He's given his pardon, and but he requests to go back because he's all of a sudden in love with Catherine for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Uh, whatever. Uh, Obviously, well, the most underdeveloped part of the movie is, is that part. Definitely. Yeah. He comes back while he's been gone. She now realizes that he was telling the truth, and they're trying to – figure out or try to stop the army of the 12 monkeys. I can't remember. Well, I shouldn't say I'm, I'm just trying to think if there's any scenes in here that really stand out for me. I mean, what I wanted to say about this section of the movie is this is where some of the time travel stuff starts to become very convenient in its mechanics, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, with like the second that she, starts to believe him that he's actually a time traveler and he's actually here to stop this uh this virus from being spread that's when the effects of the time travel start wearing down on his mind and the doubt the self-doubt sets in it just seems like a very convenient bit of timing from the writers like i i I get why they do it narratively it just doesn't really it just seemed like oh okay naturally now that now that she believes uh now that she believes him now he doesn't and we need to maintain that conflict that this is where some of that stuff really kind of uh graded on me this is actually uh, one scene in this section here is it's basically right after he comes back and they go and get the hotel room mm-hmm. and uh, uh Terry Gilliam was saying that this hotel that they filmed in was really used for that kind of stuff and i guess there's a lot of shady people hanging around while they were they were filming and a lot of a lot of the a lot of the stuff you see filmed there where you don't see any of the lead actors was done by the second unit because the first unit didn't want to be anywhere near that that location wow that's awesome (laughs) that's crazy because that's actually some creepy scenes in there the guy who's at the the hotel reception super creepy super creepy and then obviously super creepy I, and then inside the room and then the, and the pimp, pimp coming in pimp. like yeah uh, i have uh the guy behind the counter i have him in my notes as off-brand michael kane <laughs> Off, the wayfair version of michael yeah. kane they yeah. ordered michael kane and that's what showed up yeah that's in some of my favorite scenes too like I know we kind of probably do favorite scenes at the end, but some of this area I also really enjoyed, which was the scene where she receives the phone call from the police officer saying, Hey, do you want to come adjust your statement? Because that bullet we pulled out, whatever. And that's when she rambles through her house to try to find the picture. And that's where she makes that realization that she's been talking about the whole movie. It's like, I recognize this guy. I've seen this guy before. I know, I know this guy. And 
one of them is from that picture and then the other from the end. But mm. I thought that was interesting, that part. And then, yeah, that whole thing to do with that hotel is, to me, that's really well done because it takes a really weird turn there of how, like, like grotesque, I guess, or how it's just so it's super weird. It's I love that you said that that's filmed at a, at a hotel that's like that. That makes more sense now because that art design <laughs> or that uh, set design would be through the roof. Like you would have to be in those CD areas in order to understand what they look like. And and when so good when she says like I'm a psychiatrist or whatever, and she goes to walk up to the room and he uh, what he calls her something, honey or sweetheart. And Bruce Willis grabs him by the throat and pulls him in. He's like, hey, no. It's not honey. That's my psychiatrist. I mean, he has that, uh, oh, whatever, whatever gets you up, man, whatever floats your boat yep. and then goes up the stairs. So gross. And then he instantly calls his seedy buddy to say, Hey, you know, is there another guy or is another girl working? One of these prostitutes who does like, uh, what do they call it? Role playing shit because there's a girl here pretending to be a psychiatrist, which then leads into that pimp kicking in the door and just delivering. That's a great, like whoever that guy is, I've never seen him in anything else. And he just played that perfectly. Just so weird. So, yeah, just didn't give a shit. Comes in with the, the F-bombs and, yeah, we got a problem. No problem backhanding a woman in the face. Like, here we go. That scene is crazy. Yeah, the, uh, whoever did the casting on this, just nail on the head. He's a, everybody in this little seedy hotel is a fucking creep. Um, yeah. around, around here, I also just wanted to point out a uh, a character change or character arc whichever way you want to view it um when we get our our female lead whose name i don't have in front of me right now uh when she when they beat up the pimp and she says wait uh, uh, put like put him over there let's take his wallet i was like what the are you yeah where did this come from why are you bloodthirsty all of a sudden i guess face will do that but she's like like absolutely flips the switch and just like has a temper i was like okay i mean i guess <laughs> but I get, well right before that is when he busts in the door and she and bruce willis looks up in perfect line delivery uh is this real or is this one of my delusions and she's like no this is real <laughs> like he just doesn't know what's happening and then after uh, when the cops show up another great scene when he's in the bathroom you think he's killing him but really he's pulling the tooth out so they can't follow him and that guy's yelling like, I'm the victim here. He's like, I was attacked by some coked up whore and a crazy dentist because <laughs> he's ripped his tooth out. I was like, it's so good. That whole part's just hilarious to me. Yeah, I love that. I love that scene as well. When, when, so good. Because they've shown before that Bruce Willis will kill because he killed those two guys that attacked him. Correct. So you don't know. They do that a lot in this movie where they showed that news clip of, oh, we think we found the body of the woman who was kidnapped. And this is right after you see him sorry you don't even see him put her in the trunk you just see his hands go around her and you think oh shit maybe that's what happened right so they did that a lot in this film where you don't necessarily know until later on but yeah i thought it was very well played in that scene so then i guess that takes us to basically the end right they've yeah, they get the designs and then they hop in the cab to go to the, uh, they get the wig and whatever. Yeah. And then they hop in the cab to go to the airport. Yeah. And then they realize that the Army of the Twelve Monkeys isn't responsible for the pandemic. They're just a bunch of basically pranksters that have, or animal rights, basically they're animal rights activists. 
yeah, and they've released all those animals. Yeah. And that's where we see those are great shots too. Yeah. Like those flamingos flying through, those are awesome. Well, the flamingos and the giraffes are CGI. For all, sure. All the other animals are real. No way. The bear for sure, but the lion up that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. All of them are real. They got uh they got they got some animal wranglers. They said, Yeah, everything was real except for the flamingos and the giraffes. That's awesome. Yeah, those are that's a great scene. I like it. I, you know, the, the worst actor in the whole thing was that cab driver, that lady driver. <laughs> oh, just brutal. And it's such a good part of the film, too, where one of the payoffs, you get two payoffs at the end. One is to find out that the 12 monkeys, of course, were just releasing those animals. And then you get the next payoff when you get to the airport. But yeah, having her deliver that line, she oh. was New York cheesy cab drivers. Fucking terrible. Yeah, she's What a she's shit. Rough. Yeah, real bad. Real, real, like you said, uh, the CD hotel was casted so well. Mm-hmm. Then they just look for, quote unquote, New York cab driver. And this lady fit the bill because she, I, I hated it, hated it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we get to the airport and I can't, I, what tips her off again? Oh, is it, is the newspaper. It the newspaper. Thank you. Right. So he's in front of her. He turns around and she sees, because she's already called uh, Christopher Plummer. And that's a great one, too, where he hangs up the phone and goes, women psychiatrists. <laughs> <laughs> so good. But yeah, he sees that that guy's there beside, and she's also attended some of his. Um, no, he's, uh, a, he's attended before. hers. Or he attended her seminar. Yeah. And so he sees in that picture. And when he walks by, that's where he figures it out. And then another good payoff for me too is that's right when Cole is busy making that phone call saying like, cause he still doesn't know if it's real or not. So he leaves that message and then boom, then we get the guys from the future showing up again. Yeah. Yeah. While, while I like the, uh, the structure of the ending, I like the whole cyclical nature of it uh, with him being present at the airport in two different forms. There are, there are aspects of it that make it a little bit difficult to be invested in one of them is that the uh the the guy who turns out to be the main antagonist dr peters who's played by david morse who i'm pretty sure is an actor that manny really likes actually yeah yeah uh, and he's pretty good in this movie uh i i like the reversal that the army of the 12 monkeys is not uh actually particularly evil they're just pranksters but it does make it difficult to be invested in the final conflict a little bit like Obviously, there are five billion lives at stake, but as far as the conflict of like man in airport chases other man who's trying to start a pandemic, since we don't really get a lot of time to know Doctor Peters, I, I find that a little bit, a little bit meh. I don't know. Did anyone else feel that way? I can understand it totally. Yeah, yeah. So, I like the evil. Like the movie, movie kind of suffers from its own twist a little bit. Like I'm. I like I like the decision, but if they're gonna go that route, I think we need to spend a little bit more time with Dr. Peters beforehand. Yeah, fair. I did like how I wouldn't say evil he was, but how sinister maybe when he gets stopped at yes. the airport. And yeah. he's like, yeah, no problem. The look on his face when he pops it open and then pulls it out and puts it up to his nose and says there's no smell either. I'm like, oh you evil bastard. <laughs> like gleeful. Yeah. yeah, oh right. Yeah, so good. And then also, again, a big payoff for me too is because I've seen it so many times. Obviously, I know they they give away early on that that is where it starts. And we also know that he can't prevent it from happening. He's only there to help save the people. So you know what's going to happen, but you're still not expecting it. 
So when you see it and you see his little sinister way in which he does it, and just that look on his face is perfect. And uh, yeah, I like that payoff too for me. So, uh, Chards, I, I I have a question maybe you can answer about the ending. About uh, It's about how uh, Bruce Willis keeps having these dreams. We find out at the end that the reason he's been having these dreams about this moment is because he lived it. Uh, and that, that makes perfect sense. And uh, we've also had a couple of hints that, again, why don't I remember this, her name? Uh, Rayleigh, uh, Catherine Rayleigh. Awesome. Yeah. Um, she remembers Bruce Willis um, and she she can point to him in the picture later. But then when she sees him, she says, I remember you like this. And I said, what? <laughs> when yeah, she I hate that. Like, and the mustache, I was like, wait, wait, wait. Why does she remember him like that? That didn't make sense to me. I need you to explain. That. I know. It doesn't make sense to me either. The only explanation I have for that is how piercing his blue eyes are. That when she looks at that kid at the end, that's the recognition. And if that's the payoff, I'm not pleased with it. Um, <laughs> The other, the reversal payoff is great though, is, is the kid like, so Bruce Willis remembers it. And there's even a great line earlier on when he keeps waking up from the dream saying, I had the dream again and says, I never realized it was you before. And she's like, no, you're making it me because we're going through this. Like your brains, that's actually not true. He did finally piece it together. So his payoff is great where he recognizes her and now he knows why, but yeah, her payoff does not make sense. So <laughs> I, I, my, my imagine is that, yeah, it's just looking at the kid's eyes and recognizing, Oh shit, that's obviously him. But yeah, I don't know about that. I, I think that's as good an explanation as we're going to get, but it's a stretch. <laughs> a big, big yeah. stretch, big time. And the recognition would have to be so quick. Somebody who didn't believe that he was a time travel, didn't believe that this was going to happen, then goes to the airport with him, watches him die, then looks at a kid and pieces it all together in her head. Like, oh yeah, I get it. He time travel. Like, come on. That's yeah. definite. Yeah. I mean, that's a quick turnaround from not believing to, I get it. Oh, this all makes sense now. Off for yeah. a bowl of cereal. <laughs> yeah. no, I don't know why cereal, but yeah, that, that part I didn't like. Um, but I do, I do love you get another kind of bonus ending. Again, we know this happens and we know you can't, you know, save the people in the past, but that great scene on the airplane, yes. uh, he sits down on his seat and he's all again with his creepy thing. Like, you know, I couldn't agree more that humans are the next ones to die. And the lady sitting beside is the doctor from the future and a great line too. She says like, Oh, I'm in insurance. That's just so clutch. Like, yeah, she's the insurance policy. She now knows she's got him. She has all of the, uh, uh, the diseases she's got all the uh, the canisters there so she can take one or all or whatever she does to get back to the future and fix it all so such a good payoff at the end for me uh, with that uh, having her there and saying she's in insurance is just clutch yeah no I'm on board I, I love I love the uh, the airport or the airplane ending love it mm -hmm. so good yeah uh, is there any other part of the movie you guys want to touch on as we kind of wrapped up most of the film there yeah uh there was there was one uh, one tiny shot, one tiny moment that I wanted to call out that we skipped over and I forgot to call it out. Uh, it's when he disappears after they've just left the house party. Small thing that I really like, when he disappears when he's in the stream, uh, when it cuts away uh, to <clears throat> it cuts away to, I think, the, the police, and then it cuts back to where he was, he's vanished. Uh, there's a ripple that starts from right where he was. It's a small little detail, but I I appreciated the shit out of it. I, yep. I, I like that shot. I agree. That's a beauty. Yeah, for sure. 
Charge, anything, anything you want to touch on before I dump into the trivia here? Uh, no. Are we doing favorite scenes and lines? After I do, after I do some uh, trivia okay, yeah, yeah. and cast. No, I'll touch base on it then. Yeah, yeah, because we've kind of gone over everything. I'll, I'll hit those up afterwards. Okay, cool. Uh, Terry Gilliam was afraid that Brad Pitt wouldn't be able to pull off the nervous, rapid speech, so he sent him to a speech coach. But in the end, he just took away Pitt's cigarettes, and Pitt played the part exactly as Gilliam wanted. <laughs> no way. That's good. <laughs> Um, when Cole is drawing blood from himself, the shadow of a hamster in a hamster wheel can be seen on the wall. The scene would normally be shot in five minutes, but took a whole day because the hamster would not move. And Terry Gillum <laughs> is such a perfectionist that he insisted that even this detail should work as intended. For the rest of the production, Gilliam's perfectionism was nicknamed, quote, the hamster factor. <laughs> Does that make you like him more or less, less. Maddie? <laughs> The fact, the fact that this movie was delivered just as intended and it is very much not at any speed somehow makes it better for me. Uh, due to bad experiences with his previous Universal movie, Brazil, which was recut by the studio against his wishes, Terry Gilliam only wanted to direct if he had final cut. The studio agreed on the condition that he cast Bruce Willis so that a strong opening weekend would be guaranteed and that the budget be kept small. This meant that many of the actors worked for a smaller fee than usual, and the production designers had to cut corners wherever they could. Many of the props were made from cheaply obtained materials, and many scenes were shot in genuine abandoned factories and decrepit buildings. For example, the scenes in the insane asylum were shot in Eastern State Penitentiary, a now unused prison in Philadelphia. I love it. <laughs> Uh, director Terry Gilliam and producer Charles Roven had several arguments about how the film should end. Gilliam wanted to finish on the shot of Rayleigh looking at young Cole, while Roven preferred the scripted final scene in the parking lot outside the airport. In an attempt to dissuade Roven, Gilliam proposed an immensely complex setup involving two cranes on top of one another and a vast sea of cars in the hope that Roven would veto it as being too expensive. Roven not only okayed the shot, but Gilliam loved the result so much that he used it in the final film. <laughs> Happy accident, I guess. Uh, in his prep for the role, Brad Pitt checked himself into a mental institution as Jeffrey Goines and was so convincing they almost didn't let him out. No way. That's spectacular. <laughs> uh, and the last one... goes too far. <laughs> and the last one, on April Fool's Day... Uh, Brad Pitt and Terry Gilliam orchestrated a fake fight between them that appeared to all that appeared to almost have them come to blows until finally a member of the crew intervened, and that's when Pitt and Gilliam revealed that it was all a hoax. <laughs> Pranksters. Uh, some casting what ifs. Uh, director Killian Gilliam first met Bruce Willis while casting his film The Fisher King. Uh, he was impressed by the sensitivity shown by Willis in the scene from Die Hard where McLean talks about his wife while pulling glass from his feet. Uh, talking to Willis, Gilliam discovered that this part was ad-libbed by Willis. Gilliam remembered this and was convinced to cast him in the film. Uh, Johnny Depp was considered for the role of Jeffrey Goins. Hmm. De Niro turned down the leading role. Oh, interesting. Uh... Gilliam tried to persuade the studio to cast Nick Nolte as James Cole and Jeff Bridges as Jeffrey Goins. 
and uh, basically just all all of your old white dude actors essentially <laughs> yeah old white action like, stars de niro was probably what awakenings at that time or yep. is this a bit after? no the awakenings yeah. was two or two three years after but before this sorry okay. before before okay yeah, yeah. I, th- I think around 91 around there oh that early yeah um two more casting what ifs sylvester stallone was considered for the role of james cole jesus <laughs> i could that would be getting a one rating for me <laughs> <laughs> And Nicolas Cage was the producer's original choice for James Cole. That would uh, be good. I, I would have been interested to see that for sure. Yeah. He's either going to whisper his lines or yell them at you. <laughs> you know, even though even though I have no problems at all with Brad Pitt's performance, it was very good. Nicolas Cage would have been an interesting choice for Jeffrey. No, no. Nicolas Cage was considered no, for Bruce Willis's the lead. No, that, that's what I'm saying. Oh. He would have been interesting for... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. As, as another casting for for Jeffrey. Totally. Yeah. All right, favorite quotes. I have three. Mm-hmm. I'll go first. First up is from uh, our good friend Wallace the Pimp. Hey, is that the <laughs> cops? I'm an innocent victim in here. I was attacked by a coked-up whore and a fucking crazy dentist. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, number two is from Catherine Rayleigh. Cassandra in Greek legend, you recall, was condemned to know the future but to be disbelieved when she foretold it. Hence, the agony of foreknowledge combined with the impotence to do anything about it. And my last favorite quote is from the astrophysicist, Jones is my name. I'm in insurance. Ah, so good. You're such a beauty. Awesome. (laughs) Chards, your favorite quote. Or favorite quotes. Your, Your nominees for favorite quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the first one was the same as yours. <laughs> the pimp. So good. Uh, so I'll have to throw a couple extra ones then. Um, good. I have an extra one written down. Um, this is just a random one. Bruce Willis in this actually says when he turns to Madeline Stowe after he's killed those two guys that attacked them and looks and says, all I see are dead people, which <laughs> is before The Sixth Sense. So that's fucking golden that he ends up in a movie later where that's like such a key line. So I thought a movie was- about time travel too winds up being before The Sixth Sense. Oh, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> there oh, you go. Just, I, I, I don't want to, I don't mean to interrupt right here, but I only have three favorite quotes. I would have many more, and most of them would be Brad Pitt's monologues, but it's his oh, yeah. delivery of them that make it memorable, not the quote themselves. Not the lines. Hence, I, I have the exact same note. Hence, exact why, same hence note. why I don't. I have not included any Brad Pitt lines, but his performance and delivery of so many of the lines are top-notch, but that's why I excluded them, is because I will not be able to deliver them the way he does. Yeah, 100%. Yes, Sorry. His delivery. I, I meant to say that earlier. I apologize. Continue, please, Charles. All good. You know what? I'll throw in then uh, this one. This is my favorite. So this is a friend of the podcast as well, Adam Lazanero, who has been on here. We've discussed this in our group chat many times that he does a dead-on impression of one actor and one actor only, and it's this person. And I don't even know his name. It's one of the doctors from the future, and it's when they put him in the restraints after he's escaped and he's upstairs and they tackle him and they sedate him and they put him in that room by himself and he disappears. So they all the doctors gather in the room and the room has the table with the empty <laughs> restraints 
and that one doctor bends down, and I can't do the sound like Adam can, but he sucks. I think, I think I <laughs> yeah, I can see you're gonna do it. Yeah, he's so, <laughs> so good. He does it perfectly, and then he says, "So you're trying to tell me that a fully sedated, fully restrained patient somehow slipped out that vent, replaced the girl behind him, and is wriggling his way through the ventilation system." <laughs> And it's just the way he says it is so good, too. Dr. Uh, Fletcher right. is the character's name. Is that his name, Dr. Fletcher? Yeah, so that's Adam's claim to fame. He can just nail that uh, impression. <laughs> I think that was three, because all I see are dead people. You can have as many you want. Well, you took the... Okay, well, the other one then is the Brad Pitt one where he goes into the room and they're like, they introduce him to Brad Pitt. He says, I've never seen this man before in my life. Feel free to torture him or whatever you do. <laughs> Yeah, no, you could, you could have great. as many, you could have, I think we've had as many as nine or ten favorite quotes. Oh, when, when we did Casablanca. Throw in one more, though. Sorry? So oh, I was going to say, when we did uh, our episode on Casablanca, one of the greatest screenplays of all oh. time, Manny and I each had, like, ten quotes, and very <laughs> few of them were overlapped, actually. Oh, Between wow. the two of us, we probably talked about, like, 15 or 16 unique quotes in that movie. Oh, I love it. Another one I really liked is just a short one. It's, uh, again... Jeffrey Goings when they go back into like their little 12 monkeys place and uh, that one character also a terrible actor says oh my god it's it's a psychiatrist writing on the wall again and uh, he goes who cares what psychiatrists write on walls <laughs> again good delivery good line but better delivery than that so I like that as well that's it for me Sam go ahead okay Sam yeah, I a uh, little bit of overlap. Uh, I did while we were talking about it earlier. Uh, I wrote down the I've never seen this man before in my life. Feel free to torture this man or whatever it is you do. Um, I wrote that one down. Uh, I also have all I see are dead people. I definitely noticed that too. Um, the one that you just said, Shards, about uh, who cares what uh, psychiatrists think or whatever it was. I have the part right. I have the part right after that. So even though I didn't write down as many of Brad Pitt's lines as I probably could have, I did write this one down, and it's a, it's a bit of a, a long one. But um, you think I told her about the army of the twelve monkeys? Impossible. No, why? You pathetically ineffectual and pusillanimous pretend to, pretend friend to animals. I'll tell you why. Because when I had anything to do with her six years ago, there was no such thing i hadn't even thought of it yet that that rant uh i gotta give a shout out to them for teaching me the word uh pusillanimous that is a, <laughs> that is a word that is a word and a half and then he does the probability matrix is pretty interesting yeah. too <laughs> he, he goes on and on like that whole rant is just fucking genius in my opinion yeah. but i just wanted to go through that that part and then for some reason, this one stood out to me and made me laugh. Um, it's when uh, Madeline Stowe is at airport security when they're trying to they're trying to get to uh, our antagonist who's carrying the briefcase, and she's getting in an argument with the security guard. And her delivery—it's the delivery again when she tells the security guard, "I am calling you a fucking moron." <laughs> <laughs> Again, this character has shown like no aggression until like the last ten minutes of this movie, and it's so out of left field. But that line made me cackle. Which I am calling you a fucking moron. <laughs> great, great stuff. That was it. That was just four. Excellent. All right, I'll go. Well, I let off, so I'll go first. My favorite quote is, uh, "Jones is my name. I'm in insurance." It's it's fucking badass. That's my pick for favorite quote. Charts for badass yeah okay i'll go with the uh coked up whore and crazy dentist then because it's just <laughs> funny as shit to me <laughs> 
I'm going to go with uh, know why you pathetically ineffectual and pusillanimous pretend friend to animals. That that whole that whole quote, uh, that thing is genius. All right. Favorite scene? I uh, I have three. Uh, I've got uh, Cole meeting Jeff at the asylum, the their initial meeting. And then I have Jeff helping Cole escape from the asylum, the monkey, monkey scene. And then the airport scene. Those are my favorite. Charge? And airport scene, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for me as well, obviously, the first time that they meet um, in the insane asylum and he's giving him the tour, absolutely love that scene. But I also kind of second behind it, put the one in the nighttime when he's jumping all over the bed. So that's kind of the first time you see Brad Pitt really go mm-hmm. crazy. In the, the, Brad, the Brad Pitt full moon scene, yep. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then the next one would have been another Brad Pitt. It's the speech that uh, Sam just delivered, which is the uh, probability matrix in his head and how they know all the thoughts he's forever going to have because when he was there, uh, they scanned his brain. Um, the other one would be um, when she discovered the picture, of the, when, the, when the police officer calls and says, hey, we pulled the bullet out. Do you care to explain how this happened? And she rifles through the pictures and finally pieces it together that that's him. Yep. And then uh, that's it. All right. Samuel. Uh, okay. So for me, I have, uh, I think everything that I have has been said. Uh, I have Jeffrey's rant about consumerism when they first meet and you have the sound effects playing in the background. That's a fun scene. I have the great escape. Um, I have the probability matrix uh, monologue that I just delivered part of. Now, I don't know if any of you guys said the spiral staircase, but I have that on there as well. No, I didn't pick that. All right, my favorite scene is Cole and Jeff's initial meeting at the asylum. Uh, one thing I always loved is uh, the recurring joke. I think they only go back to it two or three times about the guy sitting in Brad Pitt's chair. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so my my favorite scene my favorite scene is Cole and Jeff meeting for the first time. Charts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to touch on that too, I actually forgot when he does do the escaping scene and that guy ends up back in the chair, he takes that one break to swing that yep. that uh, broom at him and get out of my chair. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I, I do, again, the time travel for me is a big payoff. And I think for, uh, the best part is when she discovers that picture, she rifles through all of her uh, her uh, research and, and pulls out that picture and sees that it was actually him in, in World War One there. And that's how he got the bullet. Uh, I like that one. Nice. Sam? Uh, I'm going to go with them meeting for the first time as well. All right. Closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Well, we have one in Brad Pitt. Is anybody else worthy of an Oscar nomination? No, Brad Pitt would be the only one in consideration for me. Yeah, definitely Uh, Brad Pitt for that. What other aspects of the film are award-worthy? So the costume design got a nomination. Is there anything else in there that you guys would have thought garnered or was worthy of a nomination? Um, I I was thinking, sorry, go ahead. uh, I think a lot of the technical elements will really come down to personal opinion. Uh, It kind of reminds me, um, if I can give a, a, a similar example that will speak to many, I think, when Bohemian Rhapsody came out a couple of years ago and won Best Editing, it didn't really have the best editing. It just had the most editing, <laughs> if that makes any <laughs> sense. So if this were to garner nominations for things like cinematography and things like sound, it wouldn't necessarily be because it has the best, even though I like those things. It would be because they're very present and they're very obvious. Is that making any sort of sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
maybe I was thinking something like a set design, but that would have been before Manny just told me that those places were all real existence. So <laughs> showing up to a CD hotel instead of having to recreate it, obviously a lot easier. And then same with the insane asylum being a formerly used uh, prison. That makes a lot of sense looking at how uh, accurate they looked. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Aside from that, I wouldn't say anything else. All right. Uh, what was the weak link of the film? I'd say that would be the love thing for sure. It just wasn't yeah. viable, unfortunately. It's just, yeah, I I like how they try to explain it that little ten percent by saying, uh, <laughs> you know, explaining like the Stockholm syndrome, but it just that would not happen. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. That's easily the worst part of the movie for me. Um, I I think this is an aspect of movies that Hollywood is slowly starting to outgrow. I think. Uh, where each and every movie just needs to have a romantic B-plot in it for some reason. Uh, it's just, it was so not interesting and took me out of the movie a couple of times. So yeah, the romance, easy pick for me. I will follow suit there. Uh, another consideration I had would be 80% of Bruce Willis's performance. <laughs> in, until the airport? But up until he comes, up until he comes back, for the last time, hmm. I find his performance to be pretty weak or annoying. But once he comes mm -hmm. back, like there's, I I don't like you pointed out. Uh, it was a scene you like, but I I didn't really like the uh, at the CD hotel when he goes after the 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 hotel clerk. But up in the room, he's quite touching as he's he he's trying to wrap his mind. Is this real? Is the future real? What's real? He's a little bit more vulnerable there, and I'll, I'll really give it to him there where he actually is doing a really good job. And from there on out, he's actually doing a pretty good job. But everything leading up to there, I'm just not a big fan of Bruce Willis's performance in this. But I still think that is, that doesn't hold a candle to the real lack of romantic – I don't even know. Romantic up. substance. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Um, was this anyone's um, career highlight? Sorry, the question was, was this anyone's career highlight? Yes. Uh, I mean, I was, I don't think you can make the argument for just about anyone. Brad Pitt has had a long and illustrious career, as has Bruce Willis. Um, Terry Gilliams would quite obviously, I think, be Monty Python. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I can't think of anyone else. Yeah, I agree. It's it's nobody's career highlight. Charts? Yeah. Maybe at that time. Well, maybe at that time when Brad Pitt, like you alluded to, is mm -hmm. that it kind of surprised you at that time. I could see how after seeing his film thinking that. But yeah, then if you look at all of their filmography, there's just no way that this is at the top of any of theirs. Mm -hmm. I, I know that, uh, man, you said this was, this was after Seven, right? Correct. Yeah, so I'm sure you would argue that seven would probably be brad pitt's career highlight up until this point well seven was a much uh a much bigger film than this it did uh, seven was in the top 10 grossing films domestically of the year that year mm. where this didn't approach that but brad pitt did get an oscar nomination for this role so an argument can be made either way yeah i think Depends seven, on prioritize. yeah I, and even then like as good as seven did most likely that movie didn't probably hold a candle to the popularity of interview with a vampire. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I guess it, it it all depends on what you're looking for when it comes to a career highlight. So, I don't know. Arguments can be made. MVP of the film. I think we'll all have the same answer for this one. Brad Pitt? Yes. 100. Yeah, yeah it's Brad Pitt. He, yeah, Brad Pitt, for sure. <laughs> uh, what will be this film's legacy? I don't feel qualified enough to answer this, given that I didn't know anything about it until two days ago um if i were to hazard a guess i would say um kind of a kind of a, a forgotten sci-fi movie in our day um and um i guess a breakout performance from brad pitt that would, that would be my my best my my best guess at what the legacy is charts i want i wonder if Moving forward in this pandemic, if it gets any worse, <laughs> maybe we'll be singing a different tune at the end. Five years from now, we might be sending people out to uh, gather uh, subjects to be tested later. So, yeah, I, that's a tough one. Uh, I'd say what I what I like best maybe about uh, viewing it again so many times is it, to me, doesn't lose. There's some sci-fis that you can tell where um, the CGI or the special effects really take a, a massive drop. But again, as we discussed before, because they don't use this real futuristic look, it's it's more repurposed things. I like the fact that uh, no matter what year you watch it in, for me, the visually still looks um, accurate, I guess you would say, for that sort of future. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know other than that what I would say. So you're saying the legacy in five years might be a very good documentary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it could exactly yeah. be what it is. <laughs> I think this film's legacy will be it's uh, an one that has slipped through the cracks, one like a basically a hidden gem. But the legacy of this film will be it's one of Brad Pitt's nominated performances. I think that's what this movie will be remembered for most is that people will look back and like, oh yeah, Brad Pitt got nominated for this movie, for especially for people probably like around Sam's age that haven't discovered this movie they might know that Brad Pitt was in it and it was one of his nominated roles. So I, th I think that'll be the film's legacy. Uh, would you, would you watch this movie again? Yeah. <laughs> Sam, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would watch this movie again. I had a good time. As a matter of fact, I basically watched it twice <laughs> because I <laughs> couldn't keep myself awake the first time. So yeah, I would, I would check it out again. It was uh it was, it was a fun ride. I, uh, I had a good time charts yeah for sure even since the pandemic started i had already watched it again and now i did again today for this so i can a hundred percent see myself watching this uh, in the future yeah i know i'll watch this again would you recommend this movie to friends sam uh yeah i'm trying to think of i mean it would have to be pretty specific case by case i would have to know the person pretty well to, to get them to watch this movie it's pretty idiosyncratic it's pretty uh, pretty specific i think in its appeal um so i think for the right person yes but not really a like a general general everyone should watch this movie mm -hmm. charts yeah 100 percent. that's absolutely accurate you could not be throwing this out as an everyday suggestion for people uh, hey, what's what's to watch on Netflix? Oh yeah, just go ahead and turn on Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> I just don't think that would be one that I would suggest to any everybody. But uh, I mean, I would suggest it, just definitely not to anybody. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I'd have to really understand the person's mood, their enjoyment of other films for me to recommend this movie. I, I know there's some people that I could recommend it to, but for a general recommendation, this this just will not be one of it. Sam, your final thoughts on 12 Monkeys. Uh, this is one that I went in as blind as I like to, which is almost completely. Uh, it's one that I'm I'm really happy I did get to check out. Uh, Terry Gilliam is not a director whose filmography I am super familiar with. Uh, in spite of all the conversation about him, I've maybe only seen three or four of his movies. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to cross this one off the list. Uh, a fantastic performance by Brad Pitt is going to be reason enough to revisit this one uh, down the line, maybe once or twice. And yeah, I, I had a pretty good time. I had some definite issues with uh, both the logic of certain aspects of the ending, as well as the uh, the romantic B plot. Uh, there were some there's some uh, some screenplay issues which really reared their head toward the end. But uh, it did stick the landing with this sort of uh, cyclical ending time loop idea. I, I really like that sort of concept. So uh, it has it has its pros and cons, but uh, definitely enjoyable and definitely unique charts yeah unique for sure i mean we got to be teetering on three hours now and i've probably said the same thing 10 times about this film based on different scenes so i mean honestly just echo everything i've said before i like the idea that they repurposed all that kind of stuff to make it visually uh look realistic of how you would do time travel in this dystopian future uh i do love those shots with the animals at the end as well I thought that was great. And uh, in general, in that whole realm of being a sci-fi, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I really like time travel stuff. So for me, it's it's a, a definite watch again for me, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, this is a movie that I, I don't love, I don't hate. It's right down the middle for me. It's a movie that I come back to every once in a while and then just kind of leave off in the background and forget about and then come back to and visit it's it's a really it is a really well-made movie i just personally just wish that somebody else had directed and somebody else was in the lead performance and i think this would probably be it could potentially be one of my all-time favorite movies it's it's <laughs> such an incredibly great idea it's got great the script is is strong enough where it would just rivet me with just a little bit different direction and a different lead performance and so i i think it's it it had potential to be something that i would absolutely love but it just has some stuff wrong with it where i it just can't elevate it to the next level for me still a really great film that if anybody's listening and hasn't seen it i don't even understand why you would do that to yourself you're an idiot <laughs> but it's uh, it's definitely definitely worth checking out especially if you are a science fiction or a time travel fan all right, gentlemen, let's rate this movie out of five. As always, as a reminder of charts, no half points or you get a slap <laughs> in the face. Sam, lead us off. What's your rating out of five? Uh, starting with the least obvious one. Um, this is tough. <laughs> I have arguments for, for both uh, threes and fours in my head, honestly. Um, fours, just because of pure enjoyment, I think I had a really good time, but I think three also because i think that enjoyment will potentially wane on future watches uh as the novelty of it wears off um you know it's tough but i think i just had a good time i'm gonna go four and uh and maybe revisit that on future watches 
All right. Charles, what do you got for me? Oh, that pleases me to no end, my good man, Sam. And I disagree with your postulation that you will grade it lower in the future. I think upon revisits, you will enjoy it even more as you discover new, enjoyable plot twists and little hidden gems in Brad Pitt's performance. Uh, As per usual, when I come on this show, I'm always uh, basically rating a movie that I've seen many times and or already love and enjoy. So... This one's for sure a four for me. Definitely does not hit a five uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but higher than a three. So I'm going to be right in that uh, super enjoyment level of we'll always watch it again and we'll probably always give it a four. <laughs> and he's the odd one out. I am the odd one I... out. This is a three for me. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfectly enjoyable movie that doesn't approach a four, doesn't approach a two. It's right down the middle of the road for me. Like I said, different lead actor and a different director. I'd probably be all over this film. That wraps up our review on 12 Monkeys. I would love to thank Chards for joining us yet again for another great and very long episode of the Sound of <laughs> Podcast. It's always a pleasure having you on here. So glad we finally got your top seven of the year list. <laughs> <laughs> So and forward. you still you still called it a top ten too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, man, I love coming on here. I'm super happy that we kind of got uh, two episodes in one here, and I I feel bad about the length, but I think maybe oh. with you guys already have long episodes, and now you add a third person in who loves to talk yeah. about you're you're never gonna get one under two hours with us for sure. So, uh, but yeah. I, uh, super amped to be on here. I love coming on and doing movies with you guys, and I'm happy at least this time there were some uh, disagreements in uh, rating and enjoyment of the film. Makes it a bit more interesting, and uh, looking forward to uh, coming on again in the future with you boys. Yeah, it was yeah. Great. Usually that lends itself to some uh, to some conversation where there's some disagreements. So I'm happy we had that. When was the last time you were on again? Usually we talk about that off the top. I don't know if we did. Oh wow, it was. Uh, he didn't come on at all last year, right? So we're looking at 2019, so... Is it like Point Break? Yeah, we did Inception first and then Point Break, and that was the one I was hoping to maybe hop on to either Back to the Future or Godfather 2. Unfortunately, with Godfather 2, it was just short notice, Yeah, and I actually forgot it was on Netflix. I probably could have squeezed it in, but Mm -hmm. I did not want to have one of those situations where I just squeezed it in and watched it for the sake of coming to talk. I love that movie, and... I'll give you my rating right now. It's a five for yeah. sure. <laughs> like 1000%. That's such a good movie. And my weird little anecdote about that one is the first time I ever watched Godfather series, I there was a, this is back in the VHS days. You could rent the movies individually or somebody had gone and done a chronological version where they had done, I think it was two or three tapes, but it was, like you would watch the Marvel Universe, how you could actually watch it when they were released or chronologically. I chose to watch it chronologically oh. for the very first, which I now 1000% regret because I didn't realize what they had done, right? So mm. I went in there. I still enjoyed it, but man, did I not realize how much until I saw Godfather 2 again separately, like how much it blew my mind on its own because obviously that one has a lot of the back and forth with the uh, the timelines. So anyway, yeah, I love that movie. That's a five for sure. But uh, I will be coming on in the future, hopefully more often with better prepared lists and uh, (laughs) ready to go at it. 
no, pl- please do. It's always a pleasure. It's always interesting. And it's, yeah, it's been a, a long sabbatical between, but we're always, of course, happy to have you. If what it takes is for Manny to bash one of your lists, well, then I guess we're just going to have to shit talk you every episode. We'll make that sacrifice. As long as you're talking about me. As long as you're talking about me. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. To give, it, to give everybody an idea, I just double-checked. We are doing episode 142. The last time Mike was on was episode 56. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow, year and a half. That's longer than I thought. Yeah. Or sorry, that's that's almost two years. Yeah. May, May 19th, 2019 was the last time that he joined us. Long time. Well, I'm happy I'm happy to bring this podcast back up to the glory to which it belongs. Yeah, <laughs> return did. to the glory. You actually you actually forgot one episode I desperately tried to get you on charts, and that was Spider-Man 3. Oh, fuck oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that if you'd be able to air that episode. <laughs> that was so fun. That was that what we did. Uh, that was Sam's favorite episode we did last year. Yeah, really? we uh, we like we selected when we did our like 2020 in review. We selected our favorite episodes of the podcast, and that was mine. It was a fucking blast. Manny gave it a one, I think, and I gave it I gave it a two just because I like it was part of my childhood. But it's just a dog shit movie that we had so much fun piling on. Oh fuck! Okay, can I please then next time let's do one like a real piece of shit movie? Because <laughs> for me to sh- yeah to shit talk a movie is there's nothing better. Well, I mean it's just great. The, the offer is going to be just the same as we did for ninety five. The next year we're doing is ninety four. So look through the ninety four films. If you see a shit movie that you want to do, you can offer it up. The, the horrible thing is is that there's a lot of really good movies in ninety four. I know. Is that Pulp Fiction here, right? Yep. And Shawshank. Forrest Gump. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm sure I can find a fucking stinker in there. (laughs) 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 I actually wrote down, so my my list of things to do, just purely based on this episode, today is Toy Story. I'm going to rip through all of them. That's a guarantee. Not a promise. That's a Mike Chards guarantee. The next one is Knives Out. I still haven't seen it. And then I've written down now 1994 shit movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> awesome. We like I said, we we really do appreciate you having on. We're looking forward to uh to having you back on charts. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. I love it, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Sam, what's going on next week? Next week, we're going to be continuing our 1995 retrospective. Uh we're going to be talking about Die Hard with a Vengeance in episode 143. We have actually found excuses to talk about the first two Die Hard movies on this show. Uh, I had seen both of those. I have not seen Die Hard 3 and beyond. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us, and will allow more people to join us in our lovely little discussion. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can follow us at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. So for the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Thanks for tuning in, you pathetically ineffectual and pusillanimous pretend friend to animals. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!